So what would your personal go-to mount to ride into battle as a fallen or evil aligned celestial? What would you go with? I mean, besides a nightmare, because that's the clear right answer in D&D. I mean, yeah, something other than that. A little outside the box. Since I asked the question, I'll lead us off. I wanted to go with the uh, Paraton out of the Monster Manual, right? Uh, body of a bird of prey, head of a stag. And then I realized that they're really not that big. However, Ghost Assault Marsh gives us some monstrous Paraton. Oh, yeah. Coming in at CR 11. Basically the exact same thing, but massive. Yeah, that's not nothing. You, you want to know what my answer is? Um, you guys ever seen The Last Unicorn? Oh, yep. yeah. Uh, I would ride a giant red fire-breathing bull into Excellent. into battle. Yes. If I was, was going to be an evil-aligned celestial, that's what it would be. Excellent. When I think of an evil character, what came to my mind was the Wicked Witch of the West and all the little monkeys, and I would want to I would actually want to ride a giant winged gorilla. Good God, that is terrifying. Precisely. Welcome to the It's a Mimic podcast, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another It's a Mimic episode where we continue our conversation on monsters in Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. I'm Adam and with me today are Brad and Tyler and this episode is called, and this this is a math joke guys, and it's it's a visual one so it doesn't translate verbally as well, but Celestials, Obtuse Angels for Calculating Sin. Just Obtuse Angles for Calculating Sin. I literally laughed out loud to myself when I read it in the notes ahead of time prepping for this. Tell me you're a nerd <laughs> without telling me you're a nerd. It was one of my favorites, and I went, oh, it's so much better written. Yeah. <laughs> In this episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, this panel of Dungeon Masters is going to run through even more Celestials that will challenge the player's ideas of law and good. But some of these Celestials also come on flying mounts as they appear to mortals and impose their wills. So before we get started, let's address the Celestial animals that get specifically called out as mount options in the Mystic Odysseys of Theros and Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica. So if we look at Theros, before I get into the stats and what these guys look like, I want to talk a bit about the lore that Theros gives us for the mounts for these Archons. Essentially, Archons come into battle on mounts. They are hand in hand. You almost never see an Archon without a mount when it's coming into battle. And I can tell you right now, it looks pretty badass. If you are a character playing in a D&D campaign, you see this thing coming at you, it would be a little scary, to say the least. But here's the interesting lore I found. In the, in the, in the books, it says that it's believed that the mounts are physical manifestations of the Archon's will, so that both Archon and Mount can think as one. Now, if this is true, it could really be any creature that the Archon wants it to be. In Theros, it just mentions the two most common ones that we see, but really, it can be any creature, any winged creature. Heck, it can be any creature, put wings on it, if it is just a physical manifestation of their will, which is pretty insane. But let's look at the two that we see, at least that are most seen, and that are winged bulls and winged lions. Bulls, essentially what they look like, giant bulls, yeah, with two sets of horns, one's kind of jutting out and one's going down. And as for the lions, could be both female, could be either female or the male, essentially a mane or no mane. 
There you that, go. That, that's not the only thing that differentiates the, the sexes there, dialect. Just throwing that yes. out. Uh, yes, I understand. But in the visual aspect that we see in the books, it's all it really tells. You're so just reading like, the wrong books. That's a different kind of fantasy book. <laughs> but if we look at the CR of these guys, it's just a CR4. They are large creatures, so they're pretty big, but they're not like a- epic hierarchy type of things to go against. But if we do look at the stat block, we can see that they have insanely high strength and constitution. The dexterity is decent. It's pretty good. The wisdom is average. And the intelligence and the charisma is super low. And when I say low, the charisma, the lowest stats are five. Now, they understand celestial, but they cannot speak it. As well, more, d- does that mean that their intelligence is above five? Their intelligence is six. So that means that they're smarter than a hill giant. Yes. Just despite the lack much. of language, which means these things yeah. are sentient. Cool. Okay. <laughs> just just keeping it all straight in my brain. No, absolutely. I would say they're sentient, but not. It's not incredibly there. Well, they're, they're like a, it's like a manifestation, right? Like it's yeah, exactly. It they're intelligent enough to be able to act and think and reason, but and have self awareness. But I mean. It's not going to get into any sort of like philosophical debate with you. Well, what I would almost say here is if they are linked as one, I would almost use the Archon's stats on it because the the Archon is making the decisions for it. This is if it's separated away from the Archon. That's how I look at it. As for what it can do, it has, whether it's the bull or the lion, it has either a charge or a pounce. And again, if you're choosing another creature, you can just slot these in, really. The, even the stats are very minimal difference between the lion and the bull, like one or two points. And so have fun with them, change it around if you want, but give them a charge or a pounce. The bull has a gore attack, the lion, a bite or a claw attack. So pretty standard. Now, if we explore a little bit of out of Theros and look at the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, we actually see another mount that I actually like these guys a lot more. They are called the Felidar. And more specifically, the winged Felidar. The lore behind these guys is they are devoted to law and justice and the relentless pursuit of it. So they match hand in hand with Archons, which we're going to be looking at. They look pretty badass. They are aligned with two sets of downward pointing horns and large teeth that just protrude from their mouth. They look pretty terrifying. And they have this almost grayish, bluish uh, tinge to their whole body. And according to the picture, it doesn't say it in the lore, but according to the picture, it's almost like a snake-like tail and then large feathery wings. Just to uh, just to pause you for half a second there, uh, do you guys play Magic the Gathering at all? No, no but I know this is in I've it. not been sucking into it. <laughs> um, the, uh, I have dabbled with it again recently, and the one thing that I know about Felidars is that they can... They're typically lions, but they can be any large cat, and it's typically horns, but it can be any kind of horn or even antler, depending on your setting as well. So you can have like a wide variety of felidars if you wanted, which Very is cool. fun. And most of them don't have wings. So a winged felidar as a mount for an, an archon, an angel, is is special even in Magic the Gathering. Mm-hmm. It does say archons like to use the winged felidar. At least in when we look 
at, uh, at when we look at Ravnica. And it kind of matches the lore of Theros too, if it can be any large creature, if we were to look at Magic the Gathering. It, it kind of goes along the same the same lore in that regards to that. Can you imagine the just like the onslaught of like 400 of these things flying down, like blotting out the sun, and then there's that one guy on a winged giant toad just like bringing up the <laughs> rear? Why not get a little more creative with it? <laughs> that would be funny. This is the the uh, onslaught of the archons, and then there's the one legging behind. Wait for me. This is the archon of the swamp. <laughs> so, uh, in comparison to the mounts we saw in Theros, these guys, the way the winged felidar, are a CR five, so a little bit more beefy. And we're going to see this why, because they have crazy high strength and con, like before, like the previous mouse. They're Dexterity, Constitution, and Wisdom are very decent. 16s and 17s. The lowest stat is Intelligence at 10, and the highest stat is Charisma at 20. Major difference from the previous mounts. This thing actually, it, it is, both creatures are sentient, but this one has a mind of its own. Yeah, this one is as intelligent as the average person, and as charismatic as the average, it's a mimic host. Depends on the host. Not including Dave. <laughs> what I love about this is I wonder if you can sway a winged Felidar. If it is kind of bonded to its current Archon, and if the Archon starts to waver in what it believes, can you sway this Felidar? It's not a physical manifestation of the Archon. It has its own mind. It can think for itself. It, it damn well can. Can you convince it of something otherwise? Well, I I, want to say this too. Like this is because it's a different setting, right? We've come from Theros to Ravnica. Um, This one is not so much like uh, this mount for the Archon. Uh, I'm covering the Archon that that rides this thing uh, in a little bit here. Um, But to jump ahead, this thing is its own creature. It does its own thing. But at any point, as long as it's on the same plane of existence as its Archon, the Archon can teleport onto its back and start riding immediately. So from anywhere in the plane, which means that as far away as they can get, it can just like send this Archon off as a guardian or as uh, some eyes, uh, something to, to help the party for a little while. And if the party gets totally screwed, the Archon can teleport in uh, instantaneously and just start wrecking house. So... Um, and while not necessarily in the nature of an archon, it can do the opposite as well, right? Leave this thing behind somewhere in a safe spot, go into a really sketchy situation. If it needs to know, boom, it's there. Absolutely. The uh, Then the crazy thing about it is this archon is not, uh, or sorry, the mount is not an aspect of the archon. The felidar is its own creature in Ravnica. So uh, whereas the other ones, the winged bull and, and the winged lion are part of the archon, this one is, manifestation of the archon. Yeah, this one is not. This one is its own um its own creature. Yeah, that they just have a, a strong bond with. They and it says they can sometimes be considered a single being acting with a single mind. Um, however, it it's it is its own separate being, right? Exactly. And they do you actually have this in the stat block called bonding. What I like that the thing that you're talking about how it can teleport up to its back, but even if it's a hundred feet, it can still uh, it can still talk with each other via telepathy. So yeah. it can be. I I love that idea. Uh, 
but also you can choose to either hear or see what each other is is seeing. They just negate their own. It's kind of like they go into a trance and suddenly see what the other one is seeing. Is that in is that in Theros? That's in Ravnica. That's for the, the Felidor. Oh, well, goddamn. I was looking at the Archon. It didn't even occur to me to look at the... I'm like, whatever. It's a, it's a flying lion. Oh, gosh. No, it's a lot more than that. It really is, isn't it? It's This thing is... I would say uh, a, a CR5 is a little low in consideration to if you to compare it between the two. It's, no, it's the has... stat block alone is... You're dealing with 19s, 20s in the stat block. Yeah. It, it's because it's not meant to be a combatant. No, it's yeah. not. It's, it is a flavor. Now, one thing I did, uh, it does have keen hearing, which, again, advantage on perception checks with hearing. It has the pounce ability where you can, if you're going from 20 feet before, they can jump DC 15, knocked prone, and a multi-tack of a bite and claw, which is pretty standard. It's got the uh, keen sight as well, so it has advantage yes. on that. Yeah. Yeah. I just really love the flavor this brings. I it, it I feel it brings a lot more flavor than just the winged lion or the winged uh, the winged bull. I wish they'd like meld the two together or, or just use a winged felidar and make it a different creature, not always a lion. I I want to use just the winged felidar for this thing. This thing's riding, but yeah, that's what you got for the the different mounts for the archon. All right. Well, should we bring one more mount to the table then? Why? Let's. Why? I'll tell you why. Because it's okay. one of the most iconic mounts in pretty much all of fantasy. We're going to talk about oh. the Pegasus. Oh, I think I, I think you were going to talk about. I, I, no, I think you're going to talk about Dave in a ball gag. Well, that's that's only certain people's fantasy. Um, now, is that with right, or without Dan's furniture? <laughs> always with. Um, so Pegasus. Everyone probably knows what these things are, but let's talk about them in D and D terms. White horse, wings of a bird, all white. These things, it's kind of what people picture as a unicorn, but no horn, add wings. So completely different. So if it ever gets dirty, does it like shed it off and turn white, stark white again? I don't think it can get dirty. I, yeah, I would have um, that it's always pristine. If it like it dove old. into mud, it would fly out of it and the mud would just like... Wick like, right off. Yeah, absolutely. Like water off a duck's back. Um, that saves a lot of cost. Right. The description of these things are they are the vision of gracious majesty, right? When they touch down, and they almost never touch down, they linger only for a moment, is what the uh, lore says, right? These things drink only sparkling water, basically. The most pristine lakes and rivers, fresh spring water, they do not touch anything else. They are incredibly timid, which is really interesting. Um, if you hadn't have read the uh, notes for this, that's not necessarily the first thing that may come to mind. But as far as D&D is concerned, these are timid creatures, but they are incredibly uh, wise and intelligent creatures. Um, they are generally sought as very swift and reliable steeds. They're faster than, say, a griffin or something of that type. Maybe wyverns, hippogriffs, things like that. They pale in comparison with speed, in the lore anyways. Stat-wise, it's pretty close. Um, however, they are as intelligent as humanoids, so they can't technically be broken and tamed like a horse. While they have horse-like features, they are not horses. These things are intelligent. They make their own choices, and they will serve any, well, not any, but they will only serve good-aligned creatures. However, to try and convince one of these to actually be your mount, you have to have a pretty good cause. That said, they are incredibly loyal. So they mate for life, but they also serve whoever they bond to for life. So if they become your mount, if you convince them that you are worthy of being carried on their back, they will serve you for the rest of their life or your life, whichever is first. 
that's kind of the main takeaways here as far as the lore of these things. Interestingly, if you look at the Forgotten Realms wiki, there's some information there about Pegasi eggs being incredibly valuable. However, Pegasi give live birth according to all other sources that I can find. Eggs, you say? That's craziness. Yeah. Pegasi eggs. Like, I don't know where this came from, where this source is. I don't know if um, I want to imagine that. Right? I, I don't know if this is an old edition, because current edition says that they give live birth. So clearly that's I... not a thing, can I just yep. say, this I think is also the first time that I've heard any sort of lore about a celestial propagating. Oh, yeah. True. Well, yeah. Um, yeah, because they are technically, they aren't beasts. They are, in fact, celestials, right? So yeah, they're just I'm, mounts of celestials. They themselves are celestial. I'm assuming that there's going to be lore on unicorns. You like unicorn babies, baby unicorns. Yeah, there must like, be. But God, I've seen enough freaking art over the years of like, little full unicorns that are just super cute and like bouncing around but but yeah it's it's wild to me that these guys are considered to be timid and i wonder if that's just to to push forward the narrative that they're hard to tame like you've got yeah, to put a I lot of effort it's... into catching one and taming it in order to get one yeah i think you could almost call that. fleet fleetful even more than timid right they aren't really yeah. interested in others right they're very much in their own world and to come out and seek one out would probably be a big deal. Um, they don't tend to just uh, wander the realm, right, or the plains. They tend to stick to their own places and their own um, company. Uh, quick blast through the stat block here. Uh, we're looking at only a CR2 for these things. They aren't really powerful. Again, these are, if you're bringing in Pegasi, you're bringing them in for the lore more than the combat. Um, your paladin wants a mount, make himself make them prove that they are worth it. Uh, these things only, yeah. Oh, yeah. Big time. These things only have an AC of 12. Average of 59 hit points. 90 foot fly speed, 60 feet on the ground. That's fast. That is fast. So fast. Yeah. So be careful giving your player one of these because giving your player a 90 foot fly speed mount, you're going to have to account for that. 180 foot Uh, dash? That's nuts. Yeah, absolutely nuts. In the end. I actually actually have a character in in, uh, our campaign who has a Pegasus. What's what's the spell cost where they can summon a beast? uh, Oh, fine steed. Yeah. No, it's not. It's a celestial, like it's a magical representation of a beast. I'm trying to remember what it's called. The the spell. It's not. It's not summon beast. It, it's. Well, there's summon oh, celestial. The summon celestial. There, there's fine steed and fine greater steed. It's not either of those. No, it's the one where he actually summons a magical beast. Like it's 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 corporeal, but it's like made of magic. I'm trying to remember what the spell is. That just sounds but, like. It, steeds and familiars right like yeah it's, it's not conjure celestial or summon celestial no it's not i, I i'm gonna look it up because i can't remember it now but he used it to uh conjure a pegasus uh that he has used for like the latter half of the campaign and sometimes i'm just like why reginald why did you have to bring reginald into this that's what he calls him all right you look that up we'll keep going here um this thing has pretty beefy stats for something that's CR2. Uh, we're looking at strength at 18. We're looking at con at 16, wisdom at 15, and everything else is high as well. Uh, the lowest stat is in at 10. So it says smart as your average commoner, as we've discussed with, uh, with our Felidar. They're incredibly perceptive. It's the one thing that they are um, capable of actually rolling on plus six. Uh, and they speak and, well, you know what's interesting here? Oh, sorry. Understands. There we go. I misread it. Understands Celestial, Common, Elvish, and Sylvan. I cannot speak. So yeah, they'll understand commands in any of those languages, but they can't respond back. Um, as far as combat goes, the only attack they have is with their hooves. 
uh, plus six to hit and doing 2d6 plus four bludgeoning damage. So again, these things are not built for combat. They are not meant to be your... You're not supposed to go in and fight a bunch of these. I mean, your evil characters might just want to go and wipe these things out and they won't have an especially hard time with it. However, they are intelligent. They aren't going to be taken by surprise and they're probably going to flee at the first sight of conflict. So if you're seeking these out, it's for a social encounter and most likely your paladin wants one. I'm telling you, Tyler, I'm looking at it. It's fine steed or fine greater steed. Like those are the those are the spells that do exactly what you're talking about. You can summon celestial, you can conjure celestial, but I don't know if your player has access to seventh level conjuration magics. But, but fine steed and summon seed, they're not beasts. It actually summons a magical creature. Yeah, so okay, it's, 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 it's it's find greater steed. Is what yeah, there you go. Yeah, that would yeah. Be. I'm looking. I'm looking at a stat sheet on D D Beyond. Ah, uh, there you go. I I gotta say, I really like the Pegasus. I'm a little annoyed because depending on your lore, this is another one of these creatures like Medusa, who, who we have an entire creature named after the like Pegasus in Greek lore is the Pegasus. It's the one. It's his name, right? Whereas we have oh, just any Pegasus and more. Uh, more than Medusa's um, in pop culture, Pegasus, Pegasi, I guess, tend to be just plural now. But yeah, Pegasus. Yeah. Uh, pe- pe- peg. No, I'm not. I'm going to stop uh, that before I get yeah. myself in trouble. Stop yeah. That yeah. Okay, I got a couple questions for you before we go any further, before we launch into the actual uh, archons of this episode. Let's roll dice. That's a nat 20 for me. I got a five. I got a six. Uh, all right. Brown failed me. Um, I want to look at kind of the idea of um, celestial mounts in general. Not any specific one, but feel free to hone in on one. Just in general, when it comes to mounts that are summoned, that are um, celestial creatures, how do you roleplay one of these? If you don't have an Archon there, it's just the mount and the party's interacting with it. Because they all understand. They all can communicate. They just can't speak. So, uh, Brad, you were up first. Yeah. So the not being able to speak is a really interesting one, right? They can understand what you were trying to say. I feel like these creatures should also understand. They're all intelligent enough. They're all wise enough to understand the desires of the Archon, of their, I want to put in quotations, their master, for lack of a better word, right? So they will be serving the interests of their Archon. They will be basically a wordless in the same way that you would play almost a wordless servant who just does the bidding of their master, that is kind of how I would play these things, right? They will interact as well as they can. They may provide assistance. They may provide guidance. Um, some, of them, said, some of them clearly have more, you know, independent will than others. Yes, they do. Depending on whether or not they've been an aspect of their... But their will will, techn- based on just the lore of these as well, their will is likely to align with that of their masters because they choose to bond with this person. So unless that person has really changed who they are since the bonding process, they're likely to want to serve the will of the master because the two wills are likely aligned. But I like um, the idea that it's possible to to a person's alignment can change. And so yes, the oh, idea absolutely. That- yeah. I, like um, I think, of, yeah. I think in the case of these creatures, their alignment isn't likely to change. It's more likely the Archon, if anything, is going to be the one who changes. Exactly. Um, so if there's going to be a conflict between the two, it will probably be there. Um, interestingly, I think the first thing one of your players is going to do if they have access to the spell is they're going to try and speak with animals. These are not animals. These are Celestials. <laughs> so they're going to... 
try this spell, cast a spell, you're going to allow them to cast it, and it's weirdly not going to work, and you're going to wonder what the hell's going on. And they might even get a little ticked at you. Well, one of my ways around that is whenever I have an intelligent creature like this that that is smart enough, I do this with familiars all the time, smart enough, can't speak out loud, is I let them, I give them some basic personification. I'll allow them to sigh and shake their head or roll their yep. eyes or uh, laugh at a joke to give Absolutely. you the immediate impression that they understand this creature thinks. Even yep. the ones that had the six intelligence, I mean, smart in a hill giant and a hill giant knows when to laugh at a fart joke, right? These things will, will still have enough personality um, to interact even with that low charisma score to be able sure, to yeah. show that they are not just a squirrel level. yeah they're not just a dumb beast yeah, yeah. like a beast of and, narnia in a sense right when they, they weren't dumb exactly beasts. yeah then the, the, their the ability to think they are sentient and I, I like the idea for role-playing these guys almost the point if depending on what they are either seeking someone out to help them in their own cause for example like the the felidar they seek this justice. And this is just an example. If they seek justice, they're seeking someone out who can help them serve this justice. This and to promote this idea of law. Or if it's uh, uh, as opposed to a Pegasus who's very timid, I would almost role play it in the sense that it is seeking out a companion, but not just any companion. It has to be the single right person. And if they do not like that person, no, there's no even tr bother trying to convince. It. It's it's already made its decision. It's you are not the person who is going to be my companion, and that's how I would almost play these things. I might give the characters a few chances, but if the dice decide that nope, later on you might be able to try again, prove yourself again. But it's going to be pretty difficult. I'm not just going to willy nilly give uh, my guys this kind of mount or even a character. Uh, a person that they can affiliate with. Uh, Philly, I get it. Um, actually, I, I forgot to mention with the Pegasi, uh, in previous editions, they actually could cast Detect Good and Evil at will. I remember so that from... I that is no longer existent in current 5th edition rules, but these things just innately knew good from evil. Mm -hmm. um, I think you I, could easily roleplay that as well. I gotta say, I, for for these guys, when it comes to role-playing, the, the big thing that sticks out to me is the fact that they all come with their own alignment. And there's a big difference between the Pegasus, um, who is chaotic, chaotic good, and then the Felidar, who is lawful neutral, right? I mean, they're still skewing on the side of the good guys, right? But the Pegasus might be more likely to be, because it's chaotic, more likely to interact and nudge you with its nose or, or bite your shirt and try to tug you away, yeah. whereas the Felidar will sit there and watch. I like as as long as things are still in order, these two people are fighting. It might not care. However, like I mean, like arguing, fighting, it might not care. Um, however, the Pegasus might become agitated. Um, when it's, it comes to the winged bull and the winged lion, you get to choose. They to have no lion. alignment. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that should really be whatever the alignment of the Archon is that's yes. that they're tied to. Um, yeah. But uh, and, if, and if the alignment of the Archon changes. It changes with them. Oh yes, I, I would say yeah, so. I would I would have that. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. The exploration includes is really going to be based on it's hard with celestials because you know the story, the kind of storylines you're getting into with an angel shows up and decrees this or guides that, or there's really it's not like some of the other creatures where it's you can do whatever you want. They're 
kind kind of bound by their their lore. Um, when these guys show up, though, is there anything in particular besides the fact that they can fly? Besides the fact you're going to hear the fluttering of large wings, Brad? Do you have anything for exploration or clues, or does this just go um, hand in hand with with your celestials? Um, I think the Pegasi do pro- supply a special case for exploration where we know kind of the where these things live right the climate that these things find themselves in the areas that they dwell um so you could easily have some sort of exploration to try and track down a herd of pegasi that are hiding or are you know maybe they've gone missing they haven't no one's been able to contact this herd and there's a concern that they may be wiped out go find them sort of thing and tracking these things would not be easy their flight of foot they move very quickly they don't tend to settle down and they are very aware of their surroundings and are likely to be hiding. So I think there is some exploration opportunities there with the Pegasi to track them down. The rest, I think, they kind of operate on the command of their Archon. I really like the idea of them trying to find feathers. This idea that a lot of winged creatures leave feathers behind. These guys, I imagine, would be no different, but be a whole lot more rare. And if they find a single Pegasus feather, or our winged felidark feather. It's kind of the clue that at least it was nearby, or that uh, it might still yeah. be nearby. Or, or maybe it's a quest that they were sent out to go find it, or even to collect these feathers. I'm a big fan of, now I'm going to say this, and the, and I, I want you to know that I do mean specifically in Dungeons & Dragons. I'm a big fan of harvesting parts off of, of dead creatures. Um, and Adam, do we need to talk? Well... There that's used Dave's, to be some general rules in previous editions. You would have this like, hey, when this creature dies, here's the loot on them. And I love the idea of if you can actually harvest the Pegasus's wings, you can make a cloak out of it and fly a limited distance, right? Or you'd be able to, um, can you imagine uh, if you get a Felidar horn, you manage to hollow it out, it could purify uh, any fouled water and you can drink from it. Or you'd be able to, uh, fashion an actual like horn like you're blowing uh, an instrument like a uh, a horn of uh, like a war cry going into battle to cause fear in the enemies or inspire your allies or or something right so oh, like, there are I, some just... really neat ideas at these creatures but I don't think you're going to get anything off the winged bull or the winged lion because no if if, if they died that's they're part of the archon, right? Like it's not yeah. like they're their own creature. That I mean, I they think disappear. Their whole body the archon disappears. Dies. Yeah. Oh, I just had this crazy idea of using the horn uh, as a single-use item to summon a hero's feast. Yeah. See, like it, it's stuff like that that you can think about when it comes to harvesting from creatures. And like, I use unicorn horns as magical items all the time, and different unicorn horns do different things. So, like, that's a that's a big factor in my games. Um, also, if you use unicorn blood in your mortar, then you can actually make your brick building scryproof as well. So that's mm. part of, of the things that uh, that I do with dead unicorns. Unicorns and dragons in particular, my parent or my players know how to uh, how to harvest and get the most out of out of what they got. Although they just realize that if they are able to harvest two eyeballs of a fiend, they can communicate through them. So Ooh, like sending zones? Uh yeah, guy like like Palantirs, they haven't figured out yet that they're not the only ones that can do that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're not the only ones watching. <laughs> I, I want I want my party to harvest the hooves of a Pegasus and make jello and they can levitate for an hour after eating it. <laughs> they just get all they get all of the uh all of the properties of flubber. So 
<laughs> just flopping around. Um, we got into their very specific attacks for each one of these guys, and they're... obviously they're going to side with their archons. I don't think there's too much to jump into unless you guys have any. No, I mean big... I mentioned it before. These things are not combat creatures. They're yeah, not designed things... to be combat creatures. Not that they can't be somewhat proficient in combat, but it's not why they were made. Yeah. Well, at least they're not designed to be only for combat. They can be used right. in combat in conjunction with the Archon. Yeah, yeah. and if, again, again, the Archons gonna, ride them into battle. If I'm going to throw one of these CR4, CR5 creatures at a Tier 1 party, it's going to be as an ally and a guide because they're going to wreck house, yes. right? Like, I tend not to, to wave Celestials in front of a low-tier uh, party Unless they're there to be a quest giver or someone that you've got to, like, this is a long-term problem and deal with this later, right? So I like the idea that you don't know if they're good. Like, if you're yeah, a level that's... one party, you don't know. Especially, I mean, the, the Felidar could be a stand-in for a Sphinx at super low level, right? Like a low-level Sphinx, okay. because they're lawful neutral. And that's they're just going to stand there all regally, and they're going to judge you, right? They just can't speak to you. All right, look, we're we're going super long on the mounts. And we still have angels to cover. So uh, let's cut to our first ad break so we can get on to the, the real beefy bits. We've previously covered quite a bit in our discussion on monsters in 5th edition. For all those episodes and more, you can follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and dozens of other podcast apps. If you'd like to support us, you can donate through the website, check out our store, or join our Patreon and get access to other episodes and series. If you'd like to pay for some ad space on It's a Mimic, or just send a shout out to a friend, please reach out to us through our email and website that are listed in the show notes below. This week on the It's a Mimic Patreon on Thursday, we'll be releasing part two of our conversation on the Deck of Many Things, this time focused on the Deck of Many Fates, where I sit down with one of my players and discuss the limitations of the product itself, as well as the creative inspirations that we come up with on how to use it. And then at the end of the week, we're going to release another one of our Metallic Great Worm episodes, where I sit down with one of the patrons of the highest tier, and we sit down this time to build a Domain of Dread. But for now, let's get back to the episode. Okay, guys, so we've got three kind of angels here. Uh, two of them are archons, although, I mean, frankly, that third one's pretty much an archon as well. It just isn't called It is that. an archon. Is it an archon? It is an archon. Trust there me, it is. it's yep. an archon. Yeah, right, right in the flavor text. There we go. So the three archons. We have three Yay! archons. Um, and uh, this is what happens when I don't research your shit ahead of time. Uh, so let's grab our dice and find out who's going to be talking about what first. I got a 12. 14. got a 5. Yeah, go Brown. Nice. It's Brown Town. What can Brown do for you? Cleveland uh, Browns. I, okay, first of all, I got to say, I'm so happy that we have Archons. Archons were things in previous editions, and I missed them. And when we only got angels, like the, the Diva and the Planetar and Solar, I was a little underwhelmed in the Monster yeah. Manual. That what The Celestials that were brought to the table were not that cool. I'm, same thing with the Plants and Constructs and Oozes. I'm like... Guys, we can do better. And sure enough, we're doing better in, in later books. All the ones the fiends about... always get good representation, and the celestials just don't seem to get the same respect. You want to know who you're fighting, right? Yeah. You don't want to know who you're allying with because you can anybody can just say, Hey, uh, an angel comes down and talks to you, and everyone immediately has an image in their head of, of what an angel, the stereotypical 
Christmas angel looks like, right? And so well, I go with the biblically accurate angel. That's what I go for too. I yeah, I do as well. And I would absolutely kill to get a mini of one of those. Oh, out there. I'll see if I can find one for you. Um, I uh, the thing about archons that I like so much is that okay, so it says in um not every time but it, it says in in the actual christian bible it, when the, the angels show up they often say like do not be afraid right and uh and there's a good reason they say that they're, they're scary as fuck right like if you if you see them at first you're like oh shit it is hitting the fan right now um while we don't get actual like that level of of wheels with eyes and 10,000 baby faces and like here are all the wings in every different direction you can think of like there's some weird nutty things in like traditional angels but when it comes to D&D assuming you're not using Matt Colville's angels you pretty much just have you know humanoid looking guys with wings uh, the archons I think are the ones that show up and they say do not be afraid because they come in with a fucking presence to them um just based on the art alone on these guys uh they are here to uh to kick ass and take names and mine the one that i'm covering first is going to be um the archon of the triumvirate and this is from the Guildmaster's guide to ravnica now the last time we covered angels we did this huge big deep dive on the boros legion um i don't want to do a huge ravnica dive again um, or a Theros dive for your guys's. So I will say these ones are aligned with the Azorius Senate, who are the lawmakers. And that is why the Archon of the Triumvirate is lawful neutral um, and not uh, not necessarily on the good aligned scale. They're very much the most severe parts of law and order. And you can get that. There is a solid sense of justice just from the way that they interact with the world, the way they walk into a room. They are there to punish those that break the law. This is it. Not necessarily executioners, but they are here to stop the chaos and to impose order again. So they do look like just a human in armor. Uh, however, they are mounted. These guys don't have a fly speed, so they don't have wings. They rely on usually the Felidar, but uh, they rely on their mount to be their, their winged creature, the way that they're able to fly around. They're often seen along other soldiers uh, that are mounted on griffins that act also as peacekeepers and uh, law enforcement as well. But they're more interested in the idea of maintaining order than in uh, handing out necessarily like these are the laws that we've come up with. The, the Azorius Senate is is the lawyers. They're the judges. They're the they're Congress. They are the Supreme Court. The Boros Legion and Ravnica are police officers and military, right? So these guys are almost like bailiffs. They will be there to dispose or, or impose Spence. law at every single opportunity if it flies at a hand in front of them, and they will directly represent the Azorius Senate. I don't have the Azorius Senate in my homebrew world because I don't play in Ravnica. However, I do really like these guys. So they will swoop in to just be a, a figure of, of calm, proper justice. In old times, in the Wild West, they would have traveling um, judges and traveling executioners. I expect that this is uh, uh, what a Archon of the Triumvirate would be outside of Ravnica. Now, they do have a bond um, with the Winged Felidar mount. Um, 
And like we were talking about before, it's a strong bond and they're usually um, seen together. The Archon doesn't require food, drink, or sleep. It doesn't say anything about water, which it usually, or sorry, uh, about air, which it usually does. Um, so I guess you could suffocate or drown one of these guys. It also doesn't have any of that for the Felidar. The Felidar needs to eat and drink and sleep, um, which I think is an interesting relationship between the two of them. When it comes to the stats for him, we've got a medium-sized Celestial, Lawful Neutral, pretty decent armor class. Um, he's a challenge rating 14, and you're going to learn why here in half a second. Um, with an AC of 18, uh, and it's all from his armor, but he's got 144 hit points on average, so that's 17d8 plus 68. You know, your standard 30-foot walking speed. All of his stats are way up there. The smallest one is a 15 uh, and his wisdom and uh, strength are both plus five. Big saves to con, wisdom, and charisma. And of course, insight and perception get big boosts. We're resistant to your standard magical shit. You know, the, the bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magical attacks. Is is that all Celestials? I feel like that's all Celestials. I think so, but At I have At least any Celestial over, like, CR6, right? Like, it feels like that's just standard for angels. You can't charm, exhaust, or frighten an Archon of the Triumvirate. Which... I think that that is common across all Archons, I believe. But the damage it's... immunities, I think, differ. Yeah, damage immunities differ. That is not the case with some of them. Really? Because I know that's the yeah. case with the other angels. So, okay, that's cool. Yeah. Um, I do like the fact that they can't be charmed or frightened. Just the sheer willpower of the Archons is impressive. We have a passive perception of 20 and dark vision out to 120 feet, and it speaks languages all. <laughs> so it is, it is there to be a judge. Um, probably judge, jury, and I don't want to say executioner, but... Um, if the need arises. He, he, yeah, Big Daddy Probably Archon capable. is going to hang out. Is going to hand out the spankings, right? Like he is not going to just sit back and and say, "Well, good enough." I hope we all learned our lesson and move on. So you just awakened something in someone out there, just for the record. <laughs> I don't know who it is, but I'm sure you just awakened something in someone. Uh, good job. I know who it is. Anyway, so <laughs> 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 um, when it comes to the uh, features that it has, it has Eye of the Law which means that it has, as a bonus action, uh, the ability to target any creature that it can see within 120 feet um, and determine which laws that creature has broken in the last 24 hours. Dear Rogue, when one yeah. of you shows up, you run. Dear Bard and Barbarian, you are in trouble as well. You think you can outrun these things? Um, it's the running. It's going to find you. You're just delaying the inevitable. Yeah, it is a celestial, so like it's going to hunt you down. There's nothing really about its ability to hunt, but... It's on a winged creature with the speed of 40 feet. So the Felidar alone is going to give it 80 feet. Like the monk will be able to outrun him, but and maybe the rogue because of the bonus action dash. For a little while. For a little while, but the Archon is going to show up again, right? Like, here we go. Uh, at will, though, they can cast Calm Emotions, Command, and a Compelled Duel. Uh, and, and they're intense spellcasters, too. Their spell save DC is 18. Um, they have a, a plus 10 to hit with spell attacks, although they don't have any spell attacks. I would definitely give them a couple of paladiny things, perhaps a smite of some sort, because yeah. um, yeah. they're a celestial. So, uh, but they don't require material components because, you know, Big Daddy Archon. 
So we talked a little bit about uh, the bond with the mount. There are a couple of extra features that the Archon of the Triumvirate gets. Do your Archons get this as well? If the Archon is not incapacitated and it is mounted, both the mount and the Archon have advantage on deck saves, and the Archon cannot be surprised. Do you guys have that on yours? No. Uh, I'm looking on mine, and I, it, I'm just reading through it. It does say no, something similar. Okay. Not, so, right, oh, wait, hold on. I'm looking at yours. Yeah, you're looking at mine. <laughs> no, the other but two it actually, do not it does, have it. It does. Uh, mine does, actually. Does it? Mine does. There you go. Mine does not that I can see. Wild. Well, mine has the name Ryder in the name. Oh, yeah. No, yours does. Yours does, Brad. I see it there. Okay. It's, it's under the, the title of Matt. I, I didn't see the uh, deck save yet. portion. Yep. That's yeah, the part that I missed. I just must have not seen it as I was going through. There's a there's a lot of text here about it, like the fact that it can use a bonus action. Uh, it can also use a legendary action. That's right. We get legendary actions on Archons. Yes. In oh, order guys. to just rejoin with the with their mount to teleport over and and immediately be riding the mount again. Yeah, it, it can do that portion, but it I don't see anything here about it uh, being able to have advantage on Dexis. And that's just mis- missing something. Yeah, you you've got the falling stars, right? Yeah, hey, yeah, and I'm looking at the oh, yes. Rider one. It does have well mounted. Second, and second paragraph, Brad. Yeah. Oh, look at that. Three, three legendary actions. No, no, second paragraph under mount. If you look at the mount stat, it teleports the appears to stride the mount along with any equipment it's wearing or carrying. I wonder if D and D beyond's missing it. There you go. Uh, well, if the Ashen Rider is reduced to zero hit points while riding its mount, the mount is reduced to zero hit points as well. I've got it. it. Is, oh, you know what? It was the way that it was done. It goes up to the top of the other column, but it's the way it's split. I just didn't see it. I got it. Sorry, you'll have to cut all this in editing. No, no are you kidding? It. This supports my hatred for D&D Beyond. Oh, it's there. I just can't read. <laughs> this supports my hatred for Brad. <laughs> well, that, that's justifiable. <laughs> like I said, we've got the ability to uh, gain advantage on uh, dexterity saving throws and uh, also can't be surprised. I don't know how often surprise is coming up in your campaigns, but it comes up surprisingly frequently in mine. Not never. Not never. Yeah. Yeah, also, like as Tyler mentioned like a minute ago, rights. if the Archon is reduced to zero hit points while riding the mount, the mount is also reduced to zero hit points as well. I kind of hate that for the Felidar and the Pegasus because yeah. they're independent creatures. It makes a lot of sense for the bull and the lion, but it's in the stats. I'm probably going to pull that away and then just have the the Felidar stand in some sort of like defensive position over top of the fallen Archon, right? And the Pegasus, uh, Pegasus is going to flee. Yeah, I think so. Now, we do get two attacks in the multi-attack for the uh, Archon of the Triumvirate, but they both have to be Hammer of Justice, which, by the way, is the name of my penis. It has a plus 10 to hit. <laughs> it has a reach of 5 feet. Goddamn right it does. Uh, and it does 2d6 plus 5 bludgeoning damage plus 48 Oof. force damage, uh, which Ouch. is... No piercing? Done. You'll no notice, piercing damage. You'll notice, yeah, there's no radiant damage here which you normally get when you're dealing with Celestials. So it's straight up force damage. Now, I see this all the time, and I've always made an assumption for the first time reading this, I finally understood a mechanic. It says, if the target is a creature, it must succeed on a DC 18 strength saving throw or be knocked prone. You see this semi-frequently, especially that phrasing. And my thought process has always been, okay, so if it's not a creature, then it it you know doesn't knock it over, doesn't knock the thing over. 
But no, if it's not a creature, it doesn't get a saving throw, and it is automatically knocked prone. It's automatically prone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if it hits the table, the statue, the the keg, whatever it is, the, it it's falls over. over. Right, yeah. Sure. Like, I don't know why that never occurred to me before, just because of the way that it was worded, but anyway. What if it's a sentient item? Sorry? What if it's a sentient item? It's not a, still have it up. It's not a creature. Yeah, it would still be knocked prone. Um, it might argue with you. The question is, what if it is a... a uh, petrified corpse. Oh, it's easily it, if it can't take a reaction, right? The whole thing yeah. of avoiding being knocked prone is basically you're making a safe stand on your feet. A petrified corpse is just gonna fall over. Well, yeah, and all like that's common sense, but also like it's written in the rules, and I don't think we've ever brought yeah. this up on the podcast. It's written in the rules that the moment a creature dies, the moment it becomes a corpse, it becomes an object. Yes, which makes a lot of sense. It also kind creature. of. It also kind of fucks up a lot of wordings and stuff, too. Like, you can mend an object. So, like, if you use the mending cantrip, right? Then well, you, you can just <laughs> put the pieces back together if it's broken. It doesn't bring it back to life. Right, but that, will allow, that. that will allow you to revivify, right? Like, if because if you lop the oh. head off and the, the yeah. body's yes. been destroyed, then, then you can't. But there's also a couple of resurrection spells that says you target the creature, but you're not. You're targeting a you're corpse. Not, you're targeting the So, object. like, yeah. use your common sense, right? So um don't 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 try to play word games. Look, that that that's what Dungeons and Dragons is about, my friend. The other action that it has, which is not a part of the multi-attack, is pacifying presence. So the Archon can choose as many creatures as it can see within 120 feet to force a DC 18 wisdom save. And if they fail, they drop whatever weapon they're holding, they stop whatever concentration they have on any spells or any other effects, and they become charmed. By the Archon for one minute. Now, again, this is one of those things where, like, you can repeat at the end of uh, each of your turns, ending the effect. And if you do, then you're immune for the next 24 hours. I hate that shit. It's never applicable. For a CR 15 Archon of the Triumvirate, there should not be a 15% chance that random villager just shakes it off and runs away. Every six seconds. That's, that's underwhelming. So... I, I always throw that out of my games, but, you know, you do you. Also, keeping in mind that there are some playable races out there that cannot be charmed. So make sure you know who you're up against, uh, DMs. When it comes to the legendary actions, they operate the same way. I'm going to go over it once now so that you guys don't have to, but you get three legendary actions. Each one of the uh, different actions costs a different number of actions in order to, uh, to cast it. So you have three options here. The first option for me is you can rejoin the mount. That's one I, I mentioned before. Or you can spend two legendary actions, at which point you quote-unquote smite, but really all you're doing is making a hammer of justice attack and then the mount can also use a reaction to make a melee weapon attack um which now that i'm thinking about it it specifically says a melee weapon attack and not any kind of other attack so um yes both the bite and the claws for the felidar are melee weapon attacks just got to be clear sometimes because sometimes they've got funky wordings and then the last one that costs three actions is called detention which kind of makes me laugh um it targets a single creature you can see within 60 feet of it then it has to save on a dc 18 charisma save or be magically teleported to a harmless demiplane until the end of the archon's next turn um and at that point the creature that got teleported out teleports right back to where it was before uh or to the next nearest unoccupied space um it's it's the go think about what you did spell yeah this is this is like minor banishment and it's a great way to ruin your barbarian's rage 
which yeah, take them right out. Which actually really, really, really suits all of this pacifying presence, the the eye of the law, this this feeling that this creature um, is this just pinnacle of calmness and justice, calm emotions, command, compel, duel. No, you come here, right? And and this is the conversation we're having. I'm, I would absolutely use one of these guys to knock my murder hobos down a peg and remind them that you cannot continue what you are doing here in the city. Hey, guys, do you ever put rules on your players? Like, I, I do no casting offensive spells inside city limits, shit like that. Oh, absolutely. I, I often have, like, the land, and they need to follow them, or they will face consequences. Th- that's the, that's what I do, is more so it, when it does happen. I don't say they can't do it, but when it happens, there are consequences. It's not just you can get away with it. No, there's consequences for things that you do. Oh, I let them do it. You technically can, but they exactly. are very much told when they enter the city. No offensive spells, no enchantment or charming, and necromancy has to be approved by a priest before you can cast anything. That's all understandable for a civilized city. Yeah, and... uh, That depends on the city. But then having an archon sitting there in, like, town square of, like, a a small, like... I'm thinking uh, almost like one of those small towns um, from the Wild West, right? And they've got the the town square area, and he's just sitting there with his war hammer between his feet, just looking around. Everybody that walks out He's like, he I know if you cast spells. I know if you stole a thing. I know what you've done. And like, I know every crime you've committed in the last in, within the last hours, day. eight hours. Yeah. yeah. Um. And like, I wonder if he just let some of it slide too, because it's like this dude jaywalked, or if it's oh jaywalker hammer of justice. He has a talent. I think there might be once he gets a five, then he doesn't. Yeah. Differing levels of punishment, right? Punishment since the crime, or is it just every crime is a capital offense? Well, if it was a capital offense, would that be just? Yeah. This guy's all about calming everybody down, keeping the peace. Police state is not necessarily keeping the peace. And no. you have to wonder is an archon with the wisdom of 21? Is he going to apply that to himself as well? That that I, I think he would hold him. I think he would hold himself as the pinnacle of the standard. And I lead by example. example. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, guys, let's grab dice. I have questions. Ooh, eighteen. Natural twenty. Go Brown. Go Nine. Brown. For the first time ever, someone is rooting for the Browns. That 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 was no. a football joke. So uh, yeah, I was a bit. Oh dear. Um, I don't think anyone from rocks. Cleveland is listening to this. And they don't have a leg to I stand. don't think Cleveland exists. <laughs> I think Cleveland is a myth. So, quests. Quest ideas for these guys. Like I just said, I like this guy being in a small town and just overseeing it all. Especially if the players are going to use this as a home base for the next little bit. You know, you like to give players a town or a small village that can consistently come back to over and over and over again. They know they're safe here in Tier 1 and Tier 2 because there's an Archon of the Triumvirate sitting in town square. And it doesn't need sleep. It has dark vision out to 120 feet, right? So the idea that he's just always on patrol, always wandering around, and the citizens feel safe, right? And you can just hammer that point home, pardon the pun, when the party rocks up and sees a couple of bandits running out of of the bank and uh, the Archon just swoops in on the Felidar and says, 
Nope. Hold and on. just just kicks their asses, knocks them to zero hit points, stabilizes them, and puts them in the stocks in the middle of town, yeah. right? Would you say he also has like a Batman vibe to him? I mean, so one of the things that I skipped over really quickly is that um he's got a, like a hood over his face, and you, you can't really see what's going on in the shadows underneath the hood. Uh, but for arrow. those that do, you see someone who is incredibly beautiful, but with the like most stern, harsh look on his face. So, like, Batman is consistently, Bruce Wayne's always considered to be, like, a handsome dude, right? Yeah. So, I would say that there's a little bit of Batman, but if Batman were hanging out in tw- Town Square in the middle of the day, right? It doesn't stay yeah, that, in the Oh, shelves. Green Arrow, then? Uh, no, Green Arrow's a punk. Come at me, Dan. Oh, I like <laughs> Oliver Queen. He's a wuss. I I, uh, oh. I have no problem with Oliver Queen, except when I'm on the podcast, because Dan and I have come to blows about this more than once, so, you know. <laughs> I'll just say it could be either or. There we go. I- there we go. I'm saying my piece. There we go. The fact that you would even compare the two of them offends me. Okay, Brad, what do you have for a quest? Uh, my quest <laughs> is going to be... I, I'm going to use him for a, as a low-level quest giver. He's going to send the party out on a bounty to collect. Basically, bring in a criminal who is so low-level and unimportant that the Archon can't be bothered to do it himself. When he sends them to go collect the bounty, does he call them his quicker picker-uppers? Absolutely. Good. Actually, there's no way they're quicker, though. They're going to be much slower. But uh, yeah, he's going to, uh, right? Basically, the party is going to be this guy's gophers. Hey, I've got this guy. I know he committed a crime. I'm dealing with bigger things. I'm preparing for something else. Go get this guy for me. Bring him in. There's your job. What's interesting here to, to mention as well is you say like he's, he's praying for, for other things. He's working on other stuff. There's no mention in Ravnica of gods, really, right? Like, it's all about the guilds running things. And, and sure, But yeah. these are celestials that are operating, like we were talking about in the last in the last celestial episode, they're operating without gods, right? And that feels a little yeah. weird for the Archons. The Archons do feel like they are the pinnacles, the, the representation of a higher perspective, if not necessarily purpose. Yeah. They've often clashed with the deities, though, with the gods of Eros, anyways. Yes, uh, yeah, the, you guys have uh, archons that are very much dealing with gods. Yeah, but there's not so much in Ravnica, and I, I, I could still have this guy be a messenger or a, the fist of a god, right? That's that's there for you, peacekeeping. You could, I see this more as demigods, right? They are. Yeah, like that makes more below sense. gods, but gods unto themselves. Well, I think most Celestials are, but like I do like the idea of giving this guy a deity to to work under. I but, wouldn't have any issue with seeing that, yeah. But again, he's kind of written to do his own thing as well, and I'm comfortable yeah. with that for this one. Tyler, do you have a quest? I uh, Actually, when I think of these guys, I don't think of them as, like, even as low-level go-collect-this-thug or whatnot. I think that when it comes to the triumvirate, is that how you say it? Yeah. Triumvirate. Triumvirate. I think of them more so as just peacekeepers. So they're going to send the party out on quests to help keep the peace. Go look at this, survey this area to see if it's this will be okay. Because they don't, and I think what he's doing is he's sending you out on these kind of missions to see if he can trust you. To see if he, because he doesn't believe in you enough to deal justice. You know, but rather. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to interrupt. I, I I just had a thought. You you finish off, and I'm going to spiral out. Oh, sorry. Uh, more so, I think. Yeah, you're earning his trust so that he can send you on 
greater quest to eventually go get this thug. I'm dealing with this big event over here, yet he's causing trouble. Go get him. But when you first meet him, he doesn't he doesn't trust you to deal what he believes the justice should be. So I had a couple of thoughts really quickly. Um, and one of them is that you get a lot of cool gray area with this guy. For example, yeah. Um, uh, I've heard a rumor that this person over here, I need you to go get them and bring them to me so that I can determine if they've broken the law. The rumor is that they stole, I don't know, the next farmer over's chicken or whatnot. And I need to know how long I'm going to put them in stocks for, if they've done this before, what they did, did they kill the chicken that wasn't theirs? There could be a number of things that are laws that have been broken here that have to be answered for. You know, like when you get stopped by the cops and you better be polite or they're just going to like, rack up 45 fucking things to hit you with with on the ticket yeah. so like and then then you go to, to go get the person and it turns out that the person's like a 13 year old girl who's you know the family's starving and sh- and she just wanted to do something good for her family but did technically break the law and now what do you do yeah. right and because he is the voice of the law if you turn him down and say no then are you sheltering the you know sheltering a, a criminal, right like like there, there's there's a lot of cool gray area to run with this you got to do that with the right party, though. I think a lot of parties are just going to get pissed off and try to fight them. Or it will just yeah. run away, right? I, I would also say that this guy's wise enough. He is wise enough to know that the person may not come willingly if you if you send the party there and the party says that the triumvirate would like to see you. No, it's you would say to him, get them to come see me, but don't tell them who they're coming to see. Yeah. Else they will not come. Look, there's, there's a lot of decent quest uh, opportunities here as someone who is... Uh, who is lawful and can see crimes <laughs> like as yeah. wild, like unbreakable level. God, I love that movie. Unbreakable level insight into criminals um, for role-playing opportunities. I mean, this guy's pretty boring because he's matter of fact to the point I would just monotone and I would even like pull my hoodie up over my eyes and just monotone at the players and never make eye contact with them when I'm speaking uh, for the Archon. However, I like the role-playing opportunities for everybody else in the town around them, because you know what? You can trust your neighbors to not break a law, but you know what? Everybody is in kind of a police state, and the only way that they can, like, when you're mad at your neighbor for doing something, but they technically did it okay, right? God, the rumors. It's not illegal to spread rumors. Nope. It's it's not illegal to, to refuse someone help, right? Like, everything would be really petty. In this town, yes. and I think that that would be really cool and really fun to see. Yeah, I think there are. You're dealing. You're dealing with lawful neutral here, right? Right. You're not yeah. dealing with lawful good. You're dealing with lawful neutral. So there's some opportunity here to really play. You mentioned it earlier, Adam, but really play in the gray zone. Right. Yeah. You're not dealing with everything needs to be good and perfect and happy. You're not dealing with everything needs to burn and everything must be purified with fire. You're dealing in gray. You're dealing in the in-betweens, and there's a lot of opportunity there to really test the morals of your party, of your players, and really put them in some situations where you don't even know how they may react and give them a chance to decide, is this good? Is this bad? Is this nothing? And and and, and honestly, yeah. because it's it's lawful neutral, like just to lean into the gray area, you can have someone with clearly shitty intentions, bad will, yeah. bad faith decisions that are technically legal, that the Archon will say, sorry, that's the way it is. Nothing I can do about it. Yeah. They didn't break a law. And then what do your players do? Do they go against the Archon? Do they face off against them and say, look, this is terrible. How can you allow this to happen? 
Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm sorry. I can't lift a finger, and I forbid you from lifting yes, a finger. That's as right. Well. You, you right. can't either. Should you at, lift a finger, you will be breaking the law, and I will have to deal with you. At that point, I wonder if you're going to have someone, a character, not not metagaming, but a player, uh, if you were to have a character in game who is smart enough maybe to twist the words around to try and make it seem that they are breaking the law if you look at it in this light. It's a lawyer's <laughs> playground. It's a yep. bard's playground. Yes, it is. Yeah. It is. Um, Even your rogue, I think, would have enough fun in here. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I think a rogue would be self-serving, though. It'd be fun, but one hundred percent would be self-serving. But what can I do without breaking the law that still benefits me? Oh, Tyler, do, gosh, you have any, uh, okay, do you have any role-playing ideas? Yeah, I, I was actually more or less thinking what you or along you, Adam, in the sense of what is everyone else saying? Role-playing opportunities around the city. Yeah, around and not even even the city. What about the outskirts of the city? What if someone is sending you into the city to, to do something? So you got a quest from someone else to go into this city to do an action that this guy considers illegal. That is against the law. What do you do? Sorry, the, 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 the last thing that I really want to focus on uh, as far as role playing goes is languages all. I fucking love this. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, it's not just giant and infernal and shit. Like, he speaks fucking hook horror. Right, and, like, yeah. <laughs> the most obscure of languages. Uh, and there's a there's a bunch of weird monster languages out there, and this guy speaks them all. Like I just think that there may be an opportunity to be like, bring me the hook horror, so I can talk to him because he's been breaking laws, but he doesn't know better, and someone needs yeah. to tell him we have a civilization. Go do your hunting out beyond the our borders, right? Like, yep. I want to see the the rogue try and communicate with someone with thieves can't while this guy's watching then all of a sudden he's doing thieves can't himself and it's like oh damn i don't even think i don't even think he does thieves can't back he just says no no yeah can't do okay, that. <laughs> um for exploration and clues for this guy there's not a whole lot of interesting stuff because he's gonna make himself known he yeah. doesn't hide he will be very much right there you you know that he's around if you can see his mount right and whether the mount is flying above overhead and that like people like there's a felidar that's flying overhead all day every day um as long as you can see the town in the distance you can tell if the archon is there sometimes the felidar isn't there that means the archon is left right and that would be an indication of whether or not the archon is uh is present to impose rule um so that'd be something i'd be watching for um but i mean it's not a whole lot here right i I'd say there's some opportunity. I could imagine um, this Archon coming into, let's say there's a decent-sized town with a properly armed militia, and you have this Archon who, this place is just lawless, right? This is the epitome of the lawless. And the Archon wants to come in and deliver justice, but he knows he can't just come in, stand up, deliver his message, because he's going to be run out of town. There's just too many people for him to take on the whole city. So what's he doing? We talked about Batman earlier, right? He's coming in the night. Criminals are disappearing, like known maybe gang leaders are disappearing from their homes at night, right? That's oh. that's what I see as your clues and your exploration. I love the idea too that like you hear the flapping of large wings, but you're in yeah. the third story building, and then suddenly this guy is peering into the window and he knows. And he knows that, yeah. He's just watching your sheets are just moving. He, he just starts to suddenly got. move backwards, and then you just watch, and he's just looking at you the whole time. Thanks so much. Then he hits you with the batarang. 
<laughs> I think there's an opportunity there, right, to uh, really lean into, you know, here are the clues. So your party, there's a good chance, unless you've got some real metagamers or some really experienced players, an Archon's not going to be something they've heard of. Yeah, but you got to remember as well, he will not break and enter. He's not a vigilante. That's true. So that's the other and thing. He'll take somebody off the streets, should it be lawful, yeah. right? They're heading back from the tavern at night, and they disappear. Well, I, you know what? That's a great thing, is he he would say, he would, like, knock on the window. Can I come in? I'm here yes. to arrest you. He's a vampire. Right? And, and when it's like, no, no, you can't. Like, all right, then I will wait outside until you come I'll out. Wait. Yeah. Right? I'll watch so, until morning. Yeah. And then yeah, that person is, is essentially under house arrest, right? Until it, like, and the art guy just sits outside for, I don't know, 25 days and goes, yeah. all right, you served your time. Yeah. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What did I do? EJ walks 10 days. Yeah, it's it's three days in the stocks or you can stay inside for 25 days like you're under house arrest. Tyler, do you have any exploration or clues for these guys? The only exploration I'm going to have uh, is the town itself that they're serving under. You're going to see that's very lawless. It is, so, I mean, it's very lawful as opposed to Brad saying that they're going to go into a lawless town. If they're a town that they're presiding over, it is pristine. There's no criminal activity. There is nothing because they're too afraid of this guy. I think so. If even if you don't know he's around, you're gonna notice the town itself. There is not a single thing out of place when it comes to anything with law. Oh shit! These guys would be great wardens. Yeah, yeah they absolutely would. they would be for combat. I mean, clearly you have that. Look, every time you get multi attack, I always think that that's the thing you should use second. You always use the big fuck off awesome thing that's given first. So that's the pacifying presence. You come in, you use the pacifying presence. Um, you might cast calm emotions first um, okay. if it's only, you know, one or two people or compelled duel if people have already popped off. But uh, but swinging the hammer of justice has got to be the last resort, right? That's going to be For round guys, two yes. or three, right? So he wants to calm everybody down. He wants to take the piss and vinegar out of the barbarian and the angry rogue and the punch-happy monk, right? Um, I'm curious, too, like, he's he's a beacon of justice, and, uh, like, he, they, it does say in the flavor text that he deals ruthless punishment to those who break the law. God's laws or man's laws? And that's going to depend on yeah. whether or not he follows a, a particular deity or a pantheon, right? That's yeah. true. Is what he I, what does he consider it? Like paladins, he probably has his own code, right? That's those are the laws that he probably follows. There's his own code. Exactly. It's very yeah. it's very simple in Ravnica because we have the Azorius Senate, right? And yes. that's the answer there. That's who they the, answer to. Yeah. The the question is whose laws reign over this area and whose laws do he think uh should be so like even if they don't believe in his deity or his pantheon but they should he will come in and lay that down as well that's right so, yeah. um any ideas about combat yeah i mean let's look at this legendary action of detention right you brought it up earlier yep. this is going to be a key point every round this is going to go more than likely right unless it the combat is so intense that he's having to use his smites or jump off the mountain rejoin it he's gonna be using all three legendary actions once around to cast attention and put a hold on whoever he needs to hold on yeah and he can chain this to the same person yes. over and over and over again right yeah. so and just it's like a hold person almost right it's very effective at yeah tyler anything I, for combat when i think of combat for these guys i really want to use that mount ability of teleporting in a sense of they could be in the middle of combat, like they've gotten everyone's attention and they're about to have a big combat and they're about to all essentially 
jump onto him and he just teleports out of there on yeah. top of his beast, which is on top of a building looking down on all of them. And at that point, what he just can cast pacifying presence or the or detention. Or at that point, he could just talk and say, look, and tries to dissuade the combat. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's not the type to flee, right? It's interesting because he's not the type to get himself into a combat uh, unless he knows he's going to have the upper hand. Yeah. So fleeing yeah. is not really going to be the primary use for this. But yeah, gaining control over the battlefield would be the use. That's exactly it. The other thing that I just want to point out before we move on from this archon and move on to the next, because we've gone so long on yeah. mounts and this one guy. But the one thing I want to point out is uh, this is the only time I think the compelled duel is used defensively. Yes. Stop what you're doing. Look yeah. at me. Stay with me, point your rage at me, calm emotions, right? Or, or you know, command. detention, or, or yeah. Drop right? your weapon but, in command, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, come here, talk to me, right? Like, I think that's a really interesting use of that. Uh, normally, it's it's in the battlefield where you're like, oh, you, you and me, to the death, right? But not this yeah. time. I think it's no, defensively. So I think that, that's defensively, a, or to pull attention off of, you know, someone else, a weaker victim. Yeah, that's right? somebody's they're true. bullying somebody. You say, "No, you don't fight them. You fight me Get over here." Yeah, pick on somebody your own size, exactly, or much bigger than you. Yeah, so I'm saying much bigger than you. Um, I think Brad, you were next, weren't you? I was next. Yeah, let's dive into this. The Archon of the Falling Stars. Now this is um, Theros, is it? This yeah, we're is done. Theros. Yeah, we're done with Ravnica. We're done with Ravnica. We're on to yeah. Theros. At the beginning of the lore of Theros, there's an event called the Cosmonogy, which is a battle between the gods' champions and one mighty Archon. The Archon was defeated, um, and, however, Heliod showed up and showed mercy to this Archon, who swore to uphold justice and righteousness in the wildest of places. And as a sign of mercy, Heliod gave the Archon a spear, and he was the first of the Falling Stars, and the rest have followed in those footsteps. So that's kind of the lore of these guys. Uh, the I, I think, do I yeah. do I get this right? Can you guys tell me were archons like the titans of Theros? They yeah they I you could look at it that way be, because they're against the gods at first, right? But they're, they're kind like, of against the gods. Um, they were basically rulers. They they were rulers over vast empires within the cosmology of Theros. Okay. Um, and there were and a lot of them. They they consider them basically to be champions of like merciless justice. And they were like iron-fisted rulers. And the okay. gods came yes. in and said, no, you're doing too much. You are oppressing these people. And okay. they came in and basically toppled all of them, scattering them to the winds. All right. Okay. Interesting. All right. Yeah. So that's Theros' take on the Archons. Archon of the Fallen Stars is a lawful good, medium-sized celestial. Um, they have an AC of 18 in plate armor, very similar to the Archon of the Triumvirate. Uh, they, they themselves have a standard movement feet, speed of 30 feet and 144 average hit points, which is 17 to 68. That's exact same, hey? Yeah, exact same hit points. Like, that, that stat block is there. They are going to come in a little lower CR. They are only CR 12 versus, I believe, 14 for the Triumvirate. Yeah, which is odd because um, your stats are the same too, aren't the they? The stats are pretty much identical, right? You're dealing yeah. with plus 5 to strength and charisma and wisdom, plus 4 to con and charisma, and plus 2 everywhere else. Yeah, that that that's exactly the same like numerical stat block. And I think I think their sig or their saving throws might actually even be better because they've got yeah. plus nine in strength, eight in con, nine in wisdom, eight in charisma. Like I think yeah, their that, saving throws are actually better. That is better. Yeah. 
Interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, these guys, really interesting is where you get a lot of flavor on these is in their skills. It's Arcana, History, Insight, and Perception. So Arcana and History are the ones that I really pull out of, right? These guys have been around a long time. They know a lot about the cosmos of the world, including all the magics. Uh, we talked earlier about uh, immunities. These guys are immune only to radiant damage. So there is a difference there. But like the Triumvirate, they are immune to being charmed, exhausted, or frightened. Here's another way where they've got one foot up on the tram, uh, Archon the Triumvirate. Passive perception is good, but they have true sight of up to 120 feet. Oof, yeah, that, that beats... You're not hiding from these. Soul. And language yeah. is all again. Yeah. Um, they are spellcasters. Again, so their spellcasting modifier is only plus 9, not plus 10. Um, but they can, at will, cast Command, Guiding Bolt, or Spare the Dying. And once a day, they can cast one of my favorite spells, Crusader's Mantle, or Spirit Guardians. Two spells which I absolutely love. This guy, um, they, this guy feels yeah. like a spellcaster more than more than a more, more so does, definitely yeah. more so than or cleric or the charm interesting yeah yes um they are resistant to magic it's given the same mountability that we discussed earlier that I misread and they have radiant rebirth so radiant rebirth for these guys at once per long rest if the archon is reduced to zero hit points they automatically regain thirty and burst up with this burst of radiance that comes from them. So anybody within 30 feet needs to make a DC 16 constitution saving throw or take 3d8 radiant damage and is blinded. So you knock this thing out, it bursts up 30 hit points, and you got to make a save if you're close to it. Uh, as far as actions go, the Archon can make two... Uh, it has a multi-attack, so it can make two attacks with its radiant spear. Uh, that is a plus 9 to hit, dealing 2d6 plus 5 piercing damage and 3d6 radiant damage. So All right, that radiant so, damage you expect. So I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna call it now, right? Whatever the the multi attack thing is, that that's gonna be the name of our each of our respective genitals. Hammer of Justice and Radiant Spear is just. <laughs> I've got the Radiant Spear. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> I just I was scrolling. What's fine? What's I, fine? Oh no, no, no! I got two. I, I got Ashen I, Blade, I, a Bolt of Ash. I've got <laughs> I've got some bad news for you, Adam. What was what was your reach? Five feet. Yeah, ten feet reach over here. Yeah, but it's it's about the girth. Come on, come on, hammer versus spear. <laughs> That's right. Motion of the ocean. You gotta know how to use it. Um, and then like the other archons, we're gonna deal with some legendary actions here. So for one, they've got three legendary actions they can use per per round. Um, so one of them is an attack, which allows them to make a radiant spear attack or a guiding bolt attack, one or the other. The other option which is really interesting, coordinated assault costs two actions, but the Archon makes a Radiant Spear attack, and then its mount can use its reaction to make a melee weapon attack. That's the same thing that the, I had too, right? Like It yes. is, it's just worded, yeah. it's just a different, just a different name. Different. Yeah, but it's essentially the same thing. I guess it's the three-action thing that really pops off, right? Yes, that, it is. In this case, I mean, again, being set here within, uh, uh, within Theros, we're dealing with Return to Nyx. So Nyx, the original right the origin of everything is nix well nix nix is the underworld now right yeah so it's it's hades i believe or at least the close enough close enough yeah the archon allows basically what it does is it's a corpse explosion if there is a corpse within 30 feet of it it causes it to burst into a shower of radiant stars leaving behind no trace of it anything that was wearing or carrying remains but the creature itself disappears anything within 10 feet of the corpse must succeed on dc 16 saving throw or take 4d10 radiant damage so basically, it explodes a corpse. It's no longer gone, which also means you're not going to be able to revivify this thing. Yeah, I was going to say that's a that's a fuck your revivify. Yeah, that's you're gonna, not. That is going to ensure that. ensure that a death stays death. Yeah, mending I, I is learned, not going to fix this one. I, I want to ask you: Does it does it seem like it does? Like it says, radiance 
um, it bursts into a shower of radiant stars. Yes. Now, is it, is it going to be like kind of like like glitter? Yes. And if it gets okay. on That's... you, it's like impossible to get off. <laughs> oh no, no it's just going to burn you. I, I honestly I know, I feel that it's going to burn like, you. And you can't get it off. I feel like it's it's a brighter, less destructive kind of. You know, when you're around a campfire and then yeah. you you get all the embers that are like raining down. Some asshole yeah. throws dry leaves on, and it just starts raining bits of raining fire. Yeah, radiant fire. Like it's not as destructive. It's not gonna no. put a hole in your t-shirt, but like, yeah. The visual for me is more like a sparkler. <laughs> yeah, just very big and very hot, but it's gonna be a flash. It's gonna. And are we still talking about your radiant spear? Or no. Oh yes, very much. Okay. So. <laughs> it's, it's like a sparkler. <laughs> yeah, it's like a sparkler. <laughs> uh, I, a lot of fun to play with. <laughs> I, I, I think of it as like the Amazon boxes that are rigged sometimes, and then it explodes. <laughs> um. All right, grab dice. I got questions. Unless there's anything else, Brad, are we? No, that that's all. All righty. Keep this train moving. 18. Five. You got to join Team Brown, Tyler. Yep. Come on over to Brown Town. A quest idea for these guys. Honestly, I want this guy to be my end boss at the end of a huge, big, ninth level dungeon crawl kind of situation. You're finally going to get to the boss, and he's there, and he is just, in the name of good, handing out punishment. Um, these guys are champions. They're warriors, right? Um, and so they're there to uphold justice and righteousness. And it's the word righteousness that stands out yeah. to me uh, in their lore. And so, like, this is your stereotypical angel gone rogue because I know better than the mortals, right? So you go to fight them. And I think it's got to be deadly enough that you're going to lose a couple NPCs and maybe a player. And I'm not going to shy away from the return to Nyx, right? The idea of just, oh, no, absolutely not. Yeah. just blowing up a corpse left, right, and center. And But un until I get a corpse, I, I, like as much as I like the radiant damage, the 4d10 radiant damage, I'm not going to litter corpses around at first. I want corpses to show no. up. Right, part yeah. way through, so there'll be minions or something around. Um, but until then, like you have coordinated assault and attack, this guy's just doing do. attack, 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 um, multiple attacks. Yeah, I wish they had flyby. I wish yeah, they all that would be really nice. Oh, that would be cool. I think that if you're going to add flyby, you have to assume the challenge rating goes up by I'm going to say two points. Two. Right? I was yeah. going to say two as well. Yeah, just because you're you're also stuck flying, like you've added three dimensions now to this fight. So yeah. um, it's weird that we're not getting any uh, any ranged weapons, but I think that would be a little too powerful. Yeah, you, I you think it was your, just a range. Yeah, you got guiding bolt. You have guiding bolt. Yeah, so there there are a couple of things, but it's not it's not like you're sitting there with a um, Solar's bow and arrow, which is so deadly. Yeah. Anyways, Brad, what do you have for like a quest for these guys? Quest for these guys. Um, again, these. I like the way that you went, but I'm going to go on the other side where these guys are upholding the good rather than overextending their reach. Um, despite the fact that, you know, the history of these is you are on point to say, right, they're overextending and they are the big bad guy who are dishing out way too much justice. Yeah. Um, I would go the other way and I would almost have one of these guys surrounded by a whole militia in a town. 
Um, yeah, maybe just outside. And I'm going to do a little biblical poll here. We're going to go Sodom and Gomorrah style, right? They've been sent by one of the gods. Basically, this town is so evil that it just needs to be wiped off the face of the earth. And your job is actually to go in and find a reason for the city to not be destroyed. Find some good within the city to return and say, hey, this is why the city should not be raised to the ground. And you're going to have to find some pretty convincing evidence. Hey, can I ask a sidebar question? I don't know if you guys yep. know this. Yep. This is going to sound like I'm making a joke, but I'm legitimately curious about the second half of this question. So get past the ridiculous setup here. So Sodom and Gomorrah obviously is the Sodom is the base root of the word sodomy. And I assume yep. that because of all the sin and debauchery and stuff, so on and so forth in, in um sure. in the, the mm-hmm. accounting yep. of what happened at Sodom and Gomorrah, that like that's a part of it. Is yep. is Gomorrah a, attached to a specific act or defilement or anything and by by the bible standards i'm not look i'm not passing judgment on sodomy no, yeah, no. but no. like is gomorrah a thing as well not a specific no act okay. it is just the name okay yes, just we, do, we do derive the word sodomy from the city of sodom that is true but, the, the, yeah. but, but there's like no gomorrah, act of, of gomorrah there, there's no act no there's no gomorrah no. adjective or verb yeah okay. no verb for gomorrah it's just more so become known that people know that idea of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's, yeah. it's the place setting, not so much a, okay. uh, it, it is, yeah, you put it two and two together. Sure. Okay. I was just curious if there was a, if there was a. Well, it's a fair question, parallel. but no, not, yeah. not that I'm aware of. There is no. Oh, all right. So she act. Okay, cool. Um, Tyler, do you have a quest for these guys? It's it's hard with these guys because, as you said, it's they're kind of just going in and they are essentially trying to correct things that are there. Um, yeah, it, there's honestly these guys kind of feel like the monster manual angels as far as the fact that like they're... yeah, that's the thing is that they don't feel like a quest giver. They feel more of the there's someone you encounter while on a quest. I do want to point out that they're also really lined up to be. Um, a great ally for I'm gonna say a tier four party because oh, yeah. a CR twelve mm-hmm. creature is gonna be able to hold their own shoulder to shoulder with a level sixteen party, right? Yep. And and now you have someone with spare the dying. Yes. Right. I think what this what this is more so is they're not giving you the quest; they are joining you on the quest. You have you know, been assigned with this person. You guys saw the Dungeons and Dragons movie, right? Yes. So. Yeah. Um, you remember how Zank the Paladin joined yep. for a very brief period of time? For a high level <laughs> yeah, he, and then he yeah. finished his mission and then he moved on and he gets off. Yeah, yeah. he's done. Yeah. yeah, that's what this guy that's feels this like. Guy Absolutely. Yeah. Um, for role playing, like he's matter of fact, like he's yeah. he's super wise and super yeah. charismatic. But I think his charis- his charisma is all based on like knowing other people and knowing how to interact yeah. with people. And power of like, will, right? It's an imposing. Of will, yeah. I really like that. This, this is yeah. this is the DM's player character. <laughs> yeah, kind of. In yeah. order to keep, in order to keep the rest of the fucking party on track, yeah, goes up and just says, goes back in line. Yeah, no, we go left and then goes yeah. left, right? <laughs> Again, we can pull that uh, Zank parallel. Same idea, right? Yeah, party's going completely off the rails. He's like, no, you need to go here. We need to do this. Good, it's done. I'm out. Brad, was that yours for role playing as well? I, like, are we, are we on the so. same page? Yeah, I think, I think we're so, on the same yeah. page. I mean, these guys are pretty straightforward. They're no nonsense. These guys are rolling intimidate rather than anything else, right? Mm-hmm. Not going to try and sway you. They're not going to try and persuade you. They're just going to tell you what it is, and then they're going to do it. And if you come, great. If you don't, you're on your own. 
the other thing that I want to point out about this guy is that it does say that he's penitent. Yes. For just a moment, he is penitent, which means that as much as he's all about justice and righteousness and moving forward and stuff, I think that what makes him more of an ally than most of the other angels is that he's going to admit when he's wrong. Yeah. Rarely going to be wrong. And yeah. You know but, I but think if it penitent happens. also, you can... You can acknowledge the fact that he has made a mistake and is going to spend the rest of his existence trying to right that mistake or make up for that mistake. Yeah. Um, exploration and clues for this guy. Again, I, I'm leaning on the winged mount more than anything else. The, I think that it doesn't say it anywhere, but this guy glows, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And even if he doesn't, his spear is, right? Yeah. You've got this, and it, the spear is not just glowing. It is going to be radiant like a beacon. Like if he's flying over top, you will see a light in the middle of the day. You will see a light emanating from the spear. Uh, I want to ask you guys: Did you guys ever play StarCraft? Yeah. I see this like the Archon in StarCraft. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You know, yeah, like that kind of glow to it, and that that overwhelming presence. I don't yeah. feel like he's illuminating a room, but he is definitely no. like glowing. He yeah. himself has a radiance around him. Yeah. Um, For sure. Let's. Uh, unless you guys have anything else, can we move on to combat? I just want to touch on the the artwork, which shows them specifically riding the flying bull. And yeah. I think that is way more representative. This guy is not the roaring lion. He is the bull. He is charging in head first. He is charging in unrepentant. Even his helm has the yes, bull horns has on the it. Horn. Right. Exactly, right. yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can make one of these guys themed around the lion, but I feel like the bull is the better fit. Uh, I, I agree. Um, also, I love all of the horns coming off of the bull, too. That's that's yes, awesome. that is pretty cool. For combat, for these guys, uh, like honestly, it's it's get as many attacks in as quickly as possible. All Between attacks, all attack, time. and the fact that you can use your legendary action at the end of other people's turns. I and I would just do guiding bolt, guiding bolt, guiding bolt. Uh, right, right start, like start a combat though. You're pulling up the spirit guardians. That should be your first move. Oh, I yeah, move. I agree. But oh, yeah. like, I I think the goal here for this guy specifically is drop corpses quickly because yes. then you can blow them up. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I would say he would drop corpses quickly. Do that to try and intimidate. Also, I, I'm going to say this as well. If your players have never seen this guy before, don't blow up the first corpse that shows up. No, he's got to wait for points. people to get. He's smart enough to know, right? The range of this is only a ten foot explosion. He's not going to blow up a corpse where there is no one by. He's going to wait till people. He's going to wait till your cleric comes to try and stabilize or bring this guy back. And that's when he's going to explode. Oh, I, I it's a legendary action. So. Yeah, I also think that he's going to move to the other side. Like, So he dismounts. The mount moves yep. to the other side of a pile of corpses, right? Yep. And then, you know, he uses that uh, that bonus action to then to go get on the, the back mount, of the mount. Right, forcing your players to go past the corpses or over them yep, and keeping the, the players in range or the enemy yep. in range of the corpse explosions while he is just outside of it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Like intelligence is high on this guy. He, his mastery of the, I mean, plus two, it's not massive, but with a wisdom of plus five and intelligence of plus two, this guy knows how to control a battlefield. He's also oh, immortal. Yeah. He's done this before. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And the thing about a thing about a warrior that is immortal, that is still running around and fighting, means that they win. They yes. always succeed, which means they have to have good tactics. Otherwise, Absolutely. they'd be dead. Exactly. Tyler, anything for combat? I think you guys pretty much covered it. Uh, again, I want to use that return to Nick's idea of more of intimidation. I don't. Uh, he's going to pile up a couple of corpses and then use that. I don't see him as wanting to massacre everyone. I see him as massacre half of them, blow up their corpses, so the other half 
know that, okay, we'll stop. We're done. Okay. I think we, we, we've it, learned our lesson. I think he's got to have a really cool catchphrase too when he blows them up too. Like he's got to raise his hand and clench his fist and say something just fucking badass. I don't have anything off the top of my head right now, but just like sparkle five. Oh, that's more badass than that. <laughs> um, I think one last thing before we move on. Okay. We we slept a little bit on this, but Crusader's mantle tells you that he does not fight alone, right? Oh. Yeah, I, I was the under the impression that, that he would go home and hang his radiant spear above the Crusader's mantle in his yeah, living. That's right. No, I mean we're looking at a spell, right? 30 foot radius, and everybody who is within the aura deals one D4 radiant damage when it hits with a weapon attack. Yeah. Like, he's buffing his friends, he's not working alone. And this also you... command at will. Yes. At will like, command, absolutely. We haven't been talking about it, but like we can't sleep on it. No, you can't. Like that's real powerful. This yeah. is also why I think it's definitely a he's with you on a quest. You are the ones that are buffed by this when he commands when he does that. Yeah, he'll he'll talk you down, but if he can't talk you down, then watch out because the spears are going to start flying. All right, Should we move well, on. Yeah, let's move on to the last archon. Okay. First and foremost, I will say this. When I first looked into this guy, my first impression was, oh, damn, he's scary. The Ashen Rider is who I am looking at. He's not an Archon. It's not in his name. Yes, he's an Archon. Yes, Adam, he is. Yeah, it, it says that. It's, I'm sorry, it's the sixth word into his paragraph. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. The but I, I actually really like this because we talked about lawful good, lawful neutral and all this. This is what happens when we see a lawful evil Archon. And essentially what has happened is at the fall of the Archons, when it all collapsed upon itself, there was a group of Archons that did not want to be with the human society. Or I would almost go as far as a humanoid society, because there's, there's a lot of them. And so they delved underground to the Underdark. But it was there that it just kind of twisted their souls. It twisted who they were to this idea of wanting to essentially get revenge on all human and humanoid society to the point where it became their sole mission to turn all of it to ash hence why they're called the ashen riders these guys as i said are scary not just because of their abilities which we're going to learn in a little bit here but just this idea of if you come across one of these guys it's not going to talk you down it's not going to try and make it a peaceful situation. No, he's just going to straight up murder you because he does not like you. Hey, I just, I, I, I got to stop you for half a sec. Look closely at the art. Those are breasts. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lady. Yeah. Yep. And I was thinking, you could look at the Archon of the Falling Stars. The art doesn't really hold up. It obfuscates a lot of the Archon themselves. But I, I think they're way. both, I think they're both women. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it, it could be either, but yeah, I I think that's definitely worth pointing out that it's not a male-centric thing. It could be male or female. Or it neither. Scary. Or neither. Yeah, exactly. They don't have to be gender. Yeah, no, absolutely. When I actually look at the art here, if I ignore the whole gender aspect of it, it almost gives me like Witch King of Angmar vibes. Mm. Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I was also going to say you're getting a little bit of the Themyscira vibes as well from uh, the Wonder Woman from the Amazon. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it has that real evil presence, but not a Themyscira. Well, Themyscira, it's supposed to be Themyscira on, yeah. as its own rule, but like yeah, yeah, like the yeah. power warrior, right? Exactly. Yeah. When I think of the Ashen, the, the this who this thing is, what it represents of just pure evil. 
it's an armor-clad evil warlord. And so that was just the first one that came to my mind was just the Lord of the Rings there, uh, the Nazgul. So these guys, again, even though they're in the underworld, they do come up and cause absolute terror. Maybe this is something that the other Archons are sending you after. Their CR rating is 16. So the highest CR rating yet out of all of the three that we've looked at today. And for very good reason. Uh, first and foremost, their HP, or for the AC is 18, so same as the others, but the HP average is 178, but 21 D8 plus 84. These guys are hefty. They get speed, 30 feet, same as the others, but if they're on a mount, it's whatever the mount is, they're, the, the stats, again, relatively similar. It's almost the exact same, almost, compared to the, the Archon of the Falling Stars. So I'm not even going to go over it too much, because we just did. And the skills... It's almost the exact same, except it doesn't have Arcana. It's immunities, though. Hold on. It's it's, it's Dex is is higher. Is a one point. Yeah. yeah. I said it's almost the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dex is one point off, and the Charisma is one point off as well. That's one point down, but the modifier is the same for Charisma. Yeah. It's relatively pretty close. It, uh, it's wild to me. The, sorry. It's just wild to me as a sidebar that we've got CR 12, 14, and 16 with such similar stats and when people sit down to look at building their characters or building their monsters, they put so much emphasis on strength, dex, constitution, intelligence, wisdom, yeah. and charisma, and they're not thinking about the other shit. And it's the other yeah. shit that matters. It's all here. in the actions, the legendary actions, yeah. the spells. Oh, and this guy in particular, the, his actions, what he can do, scares the shit out of me. As a player, I would not want to come up against this guy. Uh, his damage immunities is thunder. Okay, that's it. Again, same as the rest. His, he has immunity to charm, exhaustion, frightened. He has, again, that true sight as well for 120 feet. Language is all. So there's the boring stuff. Let's get to the good stuff. The very first one I saw is this thing called Aura of Silence. This is bad news for any spellcaster because it can target creatures within that 30-foot radius and any... And, that starts its turn within the 30 feet. An aura in this thing has to make an eight DC 18 wisdom saving throw. Or if it fails, they can't speak and are deafened until their next turn. Now, I I'm, imagine... I'm, sorry, I'm trying to figure out the freaking theme here. It says Ash and Rider, and I'm thinking fire. There's nothing fire here. Damn community, thunder, aura of yeah. silence. Okay, so it's sonic. There's nothing thunder in its spells. No, I know. I was trying to look at that too, and I didn't get it. It's it's wild that this. Oh anyway. no! It, oh 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 oh! No, it does. We'll find out later. Okay. If, look at its All actions. Right. Okay. I do see it now. If you look at its actions, um, but on a, this thing, I imagine you're repeating this every single round until you can beat an 18 wisdom saving throw which if you're facing off a challenge rating of 16 it's not going to be too hard to beat an 18 but it's still going to be difficult enough there's a good chance you're going to fail a round or two exactly and if you do you're deafened and you can't speak that means you're not casting any spells that require a verbal a somatic a verbal component yeah yeah so that in itself i just love the idea of an aura we don't have enough of them. Yeah, that is and, amazing. And, and it's good. It's good on a celestial. That feels good. Yeah, it really does. So they also have innate spell casting, uh, similar to Adams. They have the idea of command and compel duel. And I feel like in this case, they are going to compel duel for the idea of come at me. Uh, but they also have banishment and blade barrier. These guys aren't going to be your heavy spell casters. 
Again, they have the mount thing, which we've already talked about. I'm not even get into that. Let's talk about their actions. They they have a multi attack. They can take uh, this rider takes three attacks with its ashen blade, or it can do two attacks with this bolt of ash. This is where we see that lightning come in with the bolt of ash. So that ashen blade, it's essentially just a melee weapon attack. Again, an average of fourteen plus thirteen radiant damage. So you're looking at what twenty seven. Her hit. If he gets three of those attacks, that that two d twelve radiant damage is is gnarly. Yeah, yeah, that is. So if he gets three of those, that's pretty decent. And here's the thing: the other guys didn't. They kind of had a rage attack and a guiding bolt. This guy is right in his actions with the bolt of ash. So instead of guiding bolt, he's a bolt of ash. Essentially, it's a range of 120 feet, and the average is 22 necrotic damage, which I find is crazy. You have a radiant damage, and then you have necrotic damage. And what's better about this is if it's if you're hit with it, you can't regain the hit points uh, until the start of the Ashen Rider's next turn. And your players so again here. Yeah, we're doing necrotic damage here, though. This damage immunity thunder still doesn't make sense. But bolt, yeah. bolt is nothing. Yeah, come on, <laughs> just lightning the bolt. I'm, I'm sorry, this bolt and crossbows, like yeah, no, it's, that's, that's the shape. The no, no, that's the shape more more than the the. Yeah, no, this doesn't help strengthen that case. It still makes no sense that you're immune to thunder. Hey, 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 don't blame me. Don't blame me. I'm just the messenger. I'm not blaming you. It's just, it's just odd. Calm down, Brad. Calm Tyler, down. Tyler, Tyler. I'm, I'm blaming Calm you. emotions. I'm blaming Fine. You. Be that way. Uh, but I find, I love that effect that you cannot get healed from this damage until and, they, his and, next turn. And your players won't know that. Your players will no, not won't. know that until They'll they blow healing spells and potions. Yeah. yeah they're they're going to burn a heal before they figure that shit out. And here's the thing. If we look at the wording closely, it says the target can't regain hit points until the start of, it, of the Ashen Rider's next turn. So if the player's been damaged heavily already, they get hit by this thing. It's not a matter of they can't regain hit points that was from the Hold of Ash damage. No, they don't get healed, period. Yeah, it's a full round of no healing. Yeah, the full round of no healing on it. So that's that in itself. They can do that twice. And from 120 feet away, that's 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 decent. You start to see that challenge rating is 16. Also, you're on a flying mount. So it's yeah, you are down, right? Yep. So. so good luck. Uh, now, the legendary actions. Again, the first two that we see here, they're the same as what we've seen. You can either spend one to do an attack, two coordinated assault. We've seen those. But this one that takes all three, it is called Reduce to Ash, which in and of itself makes you quiver. And the quiver is where I keep my bolts. Yes, it's all ties together. There we go. This is why he has immunity to thunder. Uh, But essentially, anything he can see within 60 feet, the target makes that an 18 constitution saving throw, which isn't everyone's highest, or they're going to take 27 on average or 5d10 of necrotic damage. And it's also going to reduce their hit point maximum, which I always love playing with that because you're playing with st- you're playing with the character sheet at that point. That, that so, hit point maximum is equal to the five d ten whatever you rolled. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's reduced that, and it lasts until they finish a long rest. It's not just this a round. This is not permanent. It's not permanent, but it's not just a single round. And here's, here's the really cool part. This is kind of along the lines of the Falling Stars. 
If the target's maximum is reduced to zero, everything in the body except for magical items is reduced to ash. So, so you're doing... like the body exploding, but it's reduced to ash. It's just instead of going outwards, it's just inwards, just ash. And then you're, do, you're doing 4d10, bolt, bolt of ash, 4d10 twice, and then 5d10. You're forcing that save uh, as a legendary action. This is a this is a player killer. Yeah, this absolutely, really it is. is. That's you again. Challenge rating of sixteen. You're, you're dropping Please. max hit points. They can't heal. It's wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. This is a battle. That, this is you have to be able to pump the damage before this thing take you your party down. That's what it yeah. comes to. Right, Hence and there's no said, resurrection. Yeah, there isn't because the only thing that can bring this thing back you back is nothing short of a wish spell if you even have that in your campaign. So this is why when I said, guys, when I first read this, I was scared to be a player character in front of this guy. So he is, uh, uh, yeah, a player killer. Absolutely. Because remember, he's not wanting to be reasoned with. He yeah. just he just wants you dead. DMs use you this ability you, oh, yes. on your NPC is not on your players, unless your players really deserve it. It's occasionally do. Or if the player wants to get out. So do, right. do we have that's any... That's uh, we got for the Ashen Rider. Yeah, do we have any uh, final thoughts, or should we roll dice on these guys? Let's do it. Yeah. That's a 12. 10. I think that's oh my, my gosh. Roll. I got a 5. <laughs> yes. Brown Town again. Brown Town it is. We, we, we are the clowns of Brown Town. Alright, uh, Brad, you're up first. Do you have a quest for these guys? Um, I mean, you're dealing, you're dealing with the CR 16. You, it, we touched on it earlier. These guys are not really here to negotiate. They're not here. So you're not dealing with any low level encounters. You, my quest here is that there have been rumors that coming from the depths, there are riders of death who are ascending from the underworld. And your job is simply not even to confront these things. Your job is going to be to scout them out see what is coming, see how much time there is to prepare, and see if there's any way to at least delay them a little bit to buy the town more time to prepare for the coming or to disperse and get out before these things arrive. I mentioned the Sphinx earlier, and I've been thinking about a Sphinx mm. in the mm -hmm. back of my mind the whole time. And so I think your players are tasked by a Sphinx to go to an Ashen Rider and find out, why are you immune to thunder, you son of a bitch? <laughs> it doesn't make any fucking sense. No, uh, I can cast bolt of ash. That's why. Um, if I can be honest, these guys are such uh, and they're such a threat, and there's clearly more than one, right? Like there's a number of them that are living in the underworld. You guys are gonna fight a couple of these guys and get their asses fucking handed to them. The, they're going to watch a couple of beloved NPCs fall to one of these as they get higher powered. They they're able to. Uh, take a hit and this necrotic stuff while it's still scary it's not necessarily going to be an auto kill because they're level 16 17 18 they've got magic items and all that shit right so um one ashen rider might not be enough to terrify them but now two that's a tough fight well and then they see the army of a hundred my quest is close the gates to nix before the ashen riders break free the army is on the move i like it i like that if I had to have a quest for these guys, or that pertains to these guys, it would revolve more so around one of the Archons. The other ones that we talked about, giving you the quest to find out what's causing trouble. They don't know that it's one of these guys. You don't know what it is. But when you actually go and you start to see it, and you're like, that thing looks awfully similar to something we've already seen, but not the same. 
And that thing is flipping scary. You maybe see from a distance what it's doing to a town, and then you're reporting back. And then guess what? It opens up a whole new quest line of, okay, now you need to do this. Now you need to do this. Maybe it is the, um, what was yours called again, Adam? The triumvirate. Yeah. It, maybe it is that thing. Once it finds out what is causing this, it needs to take action. I I, I like that. I, I like yeah. mixing these guys together too. Archon versus Archon can be a little fun. Um, oh, yeah. Any role-playing ideas, Brad? Um, I mean, you're going to have a really tough time negotiating with these guys, right? We've discussed this. But that said, the role-play of these is going to be almost like this wave of death that is coming, right? Um, the role-play may not even be with the Archon itself, but with the devastation that's left in its wake, right? Maybe your party's actually trying to chase these things down and figure out where they're going. And your role-playing is with the victims, the people who survived, who managed to hide. What did they see? What did they hear? What were the calls out for cleansing that these things were calling out? What were they actually desiring? They probably would be shouting it from the rooftops as they were coming in to clear them out. You have been found wanting. You have been found to be not enough. We will cleanse this entire plane of existence and claim it for the underworld. Uh, I, I like the idea of, it says in the Lord that um, they're, that terrified mortals are are giving these offerings, but the Ashen Riders just don't give a shit, right? Yeah, like, there's no mercy here. So like, exactly, yeah. You the think about the players, the players are going to like walk up to this guy and they're going to look, or this girl, and they're going to look yeah. her square in the eye and they're going to say, why are you immune to thunder damage? Because it doesn't make I agree with your thing. Uh, my one thing, again, is as far as role-playing goes, during combat, there's got to be things when they're reducing things to ash, when they are casting spells, banishing people, um, casting the bolt of ash. That's the there needs to be catchphrases, needs to be things that tackles would even be a good use. Yeah, like it's gonna be laughing at the devastation. This is gonna be a game to them. It literally says they delight in reducing the paragons of the mortal world to ash. So it's not just it's not just the mortals, it's the paragons. They want to topple statues, they want to burn down temples. Absolutely. So if there is a magical artifact, they want to destroy it. They want to take away hope. Yeah, there there are no prisoners. There are no spoils of war. Everything is just turned to ash. I also think though that they're going to like they're going to step up. Like they're they're flying lion, um, which is what the art is, right? It's yeah. Um, but like they're going to fly in. So like the the town square land. Everybody's going to come out and fall to their knees. All of these mortals that can't do anything, and like sit there and start like chanting and praying, and it, this, the Ashen Rider will completely freaking ignore them and walk into the temple, and you will hear the sounds of slaughter and screaming, and the Ashen Rider will walk out as blood drips from their gauntlets, and you know they sheathe their blade, get back on, and fly away again, right? Ignoring the mortals, like I think that the standard mortals are not important enough; mm, they're here to fuck enough. shit up, right? So no, uh, I'm. I look at these guys as they delight in the suffering. But they're not chaotic, right? No, they're not chaotic, no. But I do see them in a sense of they are not opposed to, like, torture. If it is going to be for a lawful purpose. If it is deserving in their eyes what they believe to be lawful 
and they will torture people to make an example and they will continue to do so. Yeah, they're 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 gonna leave people strung up as a message, definitely, right? Exactly. But not alive, I don't think. I don't think they're going to leave them alive. If they torture, it will end in their death. Not for mercy, just for completion. Yeah, eventually. Eventually they will die. They will not leave them living. But they will torture them until death so that they learn going into the afterlife what that I'm, I'm, you should not exist. We should not have fallen in the first place. You are so weak. Brad, do you have anything for uh, exploration and clues? I mean, I kind of mentioned it earlier, but you know what? Just glass, right? We talked about the scorching yeah. power turning everything to ash. But if there's sand, right? If they're in a desert, there should be like black glass left behind. It's so weird that, that there's no lightning or fire with the ashen rider. It is true. Yes, it's very true. I mean, it's it's necrotic damage, right? So everything is wasted away. I, I feel like the theme of this is that they're sucking the moisture out and leaving merely carbon behind. Yeah. Right? Like. Yeah. Like, it is a cold burn more than, like, a mm. hot burn, right? So, um, my clue here, I'm just going to jump onto the idea that you had about, like, leaving people behind. You're going to have this message. You think about the dead tree that looks like it's been burned, but there's no sign of ignition. You can't no tell what lit it on fire. It's just ashen. And hanging from it are are uh, completely pristine chains. And there is clearly just the base carbon husk of a body hanging by its ankles as a warning, right? And a strong breeze comes by and half of the tree and the and the body just disintegrate into the wind, leaving the chains rattling. It's and then later on, it's just dust. Yeah. And then later on, you keep finding these chains hanging in places. And there's just like every footstep that you take is in is in like the ground looks white and every footstep you take mm-hmm. leaves behind a black footstep in the white ash right my idea here with them is that like when if they have a layer that are back in the underworld um when you see where these guys have laid waste it, the ash has got to be on everything everything you touch is covered in it but i like the idea of these like pristine chains because it wasn't fire it wasn't lightning it wasn't anything like that they're just there are all of these manacles hanging from the ceiling and they're all closed and locked but there's no bodies in them. There were, but not anymore. I mm. really like the idea. I'm going to play on that a little bit with those chains. The chains, I would almost say, are like magically imbued to like stay clean. Like they don't rust. Yeah. So yeah it is, they're it stainless is steel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Um, yeah. That's how uh, stainless steel makes its way to D&D. No. I just love the idea of, them, of the players going like, where are the bodies? And like an yeah. NPC turning being like, we're breathing them. No, absolutely. I love that idea of, or they come into town and they kick up a bit of dust, and to them it's just dust, but there's no dust around the city at all. And then after a little while in the city, they realize the dust they're kicking up and they're breathing in is essentially the remains of the people of the city. Brad, do you have any combat tactics for these guys? I mean, it's pretty straightforward. They do have command and compelled duel. We talked earlier about how the uh, Archons of Triumvirate are going to use them as a defense mechanism or to protect the innocent. Here it's the exact opposite, right? Yeah. We're looking at we're commanding. It's like Scorpion, get over here. And then the compelled duel is simply because I want to murder you and I want you to get here quicker so I can kill you faster. Um, these guys, I think, would make use of the mount bonus action to teleport onto the back of their mount. Not so much to um, escape, but they would use it to... I'm going to deal with this guy. 
you lioness go over there put your jaws into this guy and when i'm done with him i'm gonna come over to you and finish him off and i'm just gonna use you to help me get around the battlefield faster because you can move while i'm fighting and then i'm gonna come to you and do it all again yeah i i really feel like the bond here is one of of like submission yes. as opposed oh, to absolutely. like a proper pet or ally from for the other archons absolutely because yeah. keep in mind the others are very much lawful neutral lawful good if these things are evil aligned a, a pegasus absolutely no it, it has to be one of these mounts that we saw earlier in theros that is unaligned that almost a manifestation of their will yeah the art shows them with the lioness right and i think yeah. it's a good fit in fact the art this is probably my favorite art of the three so for combat for me all right, I'm coming back to the damage immunity thunder again. And my the thing that I like about it, it's like it was half baked into this and then they gave up because of the aura of silence. Now, yeah. you'll notice that it's not the silence spell. It is not that the, there's an aura of like an actual aura of silence. It's just that some things uh, can't speak uh, or and they are deafened if they fail, right? That's it. It's not like the the footsteps aren't still echoing as as if you are 35 feet away, you can still hear the Ashen Rider talk, right? Yeah. Which, which means thunder damage would still affect it because the, yep. in theory, in silence, in in the proper silence spell, I always play it like thunder damage doesn't have any effect because oh, it's silence. That makes sense. Right? Yeah. So uh, for me, I'm going to take the Ashen Blade and I'm going to get rid of that radiant damage. I'm going to make it thunder damage. Yeah. Hey, it guess just, what? No, it makes sense. Yeah. It ties it all together. Um, and honestly, every time that it hits with the Ashen Blade, there's going to be a boom sound, and ash will rain down from whatever is is already um, corpsified, right? Whatever the mm -hmm. ash is. And I think that uh, for my bolt of ash, like, honestly, combat is I fly around and I shoot with the bolt of ash. Come fucking yeah. get me, right? Like, that's, yeah. that's what this is. But, like, if I'm going to mix it up, if I'm in a smaller, tighter space or whatnot, um, the bolt of ash, the reduced to ash where i'm like fucking people up with necrotic damage normally for me the flavor of necrotic damage is a withering feeling like the the life and strength disappear from your muscles you get thirsty and it's like sucking the moisture out of you for this it just feels like like you, you rub your arm and the top three layers of skin just flake away right yeah this uh, is i say that's an accurate depiction this is a, a nastier more brutal dry kind of of just Flaking, Mr. Stark, Mr. Stark. Oh, like, yeah. That's, yeah. that's oh, the edge. Oh, oh, yeah. It's going to be so painful when you actually kill a player with this, for sure. Oh, gosh, yeah. Or, or uh, a valued NPC. Yeah. Tyler, do you have uh, any so, combat for these guys? Yeah, I do. Again, I love that the idea of reduced to ash. I am going to take out NPCs with this guy. Uh, my riders are going to realize that they are not invincible. But one, I really, I really enjoy that aura of silence. Yeah. Because how it's going to work is that mount is going to fly in without the rider on it, and he's going to fly into the spellcasters because the the ashen rider knows he's smart. He's very smart. Or have fifteen intelligence. Is smart enough to know, and so the the mount is going to make its way there. And as soon as it's within range, it's going to teleport on top of it. And guess what? That aura of silence suddenly affects your, but it, it affects your bards, your wizards, your sorcerers, your warlocks. Uh, heck, I would even say if you're a barbarian, 
he he channels his rage by yelling. Guess what? He ain't gonna be raging because he can't. He he's not able to rage because he can't yell to get the rage out. Uh, that's how I would play it as a DM. That's just uh, more of a, a side fun way of thinking of it. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, but this idea of it's forcing them to make that uh, immunity that uh, that DC wisdom saving throw. Now, if they make it, they're immune to it for twenty four hours. I don't know if I like that. But uh, rules was written. I always, I always undo that. I always undo the immune for twenty four hours. I may give, at best, I'll give you immune for one d four rounds. Exactly. Yes, that's what I do as well. Just the idea of it gives the more fear aspect to it. It gives more relevance. Um, But that, and then while he's, while this person is there, then they are going to use that ashen blade because that thing is deadly up close uh, and then reducing to ash the end of it and then now, guess what they're going to send them out to way and then bounce out there out of there yeah now i've got one final thought about these guys and it's the fact that we have a we finally have an evil celestial now yeah. this works just fine in theros but how do you apply this to the forgotten realms or anything that has planes that are based on the idea of alignment um because your celestials tend to come from the good aligned planes so how do you handle this? Well, this is your fallen angel. Yeah, exactly. And what? Yeah. And while I would not put this these creatures in the nine hells or the abyss because those are like very specifically for devils and demons, we do have three others, um, uh, like Hades, right? And and there there are others. We did a whole episode in the lower planes. Um, so find one that fits well for you. But I think because of the thunder damage. I want to put these guys in Pandemonium in the Forgotten Realms mm. because Pandemonium yep. absolutely has those howling winds, right? So you don't just turn someone to ash; you turn to ash and they blow away immediately, immediately. right? Just yeah. gone down the down the tunnel, right? So that's where I would I would throw these guys. They've been corrupted; they're fallen angels, and they have found a home in Pandemonium. Um, okay. So that that gives them the thunder as well as a, a tie to the... I think the the ash is their corrupted radiant damage, right? So... I, I could almost also see this as they make the way to Pandemonium after trying to battle it out in the Nine Hells. Yeah, I maybe, mean... Maybe they followed... Maybe they, they followed other angels there to battle well, against it. That 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 was what happened to Zeriel, right? Zeriel came down exactly. and was by Asmodeus to... To hey, if you if you flip, you, you will have more power. You'll do more good, and so she did. There's no reason why a couple of Ashen Riders wouldn't go with her. And again, that ties you. I would get rid of all of the thunder and radiant, and make it all fire. Then, right? Like yeah. I'm gonna tie all that shit to um, Avernus. So, like, there's there's some flavors and options here. Uh, you got to do a little bit of reskinning and a little bit of thinking about how to apply these guys in the Forgotten Realms. I mean, clearly they took the name and then reskinned it. Anyways, it's already a reskin. Like you called it Ashen Rider, but gave it nothing really Ashen. Yeah, Sounds like, like Ash. I well, mean, no, I guess death no to dust fire. and ashes to ashes is the only like necrotic dust to dust is about as close as you get to ashes. Yeah, the, I there really ought to be some sort of fire. I feel like Ashen is more about the color that they are, yeah. right? So yeah, yeah, the art shows them as being this white and golden. They're wearing all white with golden glittering armor. Yeah, right. This is white ash, not black. All right, so before we wrap this episode up, let's cut to our last ad break. 
If you've been inspired by the conversation in this episode, please feel free to reach out and share your creativity and ideas with us and the rest of the community. You can reach us on Facebook and Instagram or on our subreddit at r slash it's a mimic. Also, if you're feeling particularly generous, please follow and subscribe and leave us positive reviews, likes, and comments. Engagement like that helps us pop up on search engines and keep this show running. So guys, I want to talk about really quickly about final thoughts and inspirations here. These guys are meant as set pieces. Don't think of them purely as combat. Think of the angels that we've talked about today as how can I use them for exploration and for the social pillars? Not everything has to be about the combat pillar, especially when it comes to these guys and feel low levels, even at high levels. How can I use these in a campaign to further advance the story and to give the ability for my players to use that exploration, to use the social, because these are set pieces that can be put in there. So I, I really want to press that on there because we don't have that enough. And I want people to feel as if they can play D&D, not just as a combat simulator, but this idea of expanding the world. And you don't get anything that's quite as unique as what a Celestial brings to the table. There's really exactly. nothing else that that fills that niche. Like you can you can make a deal with a with Fey Fiend or Hag, right? And you're gonna get a wow, funky deal out of it. It'll be flavored a little differently. But you're not really getting anything. Maybe maybe if you make a high powered devil neutral, right? Because they're lawful, right? Like maybe. But even Paladin Temple might be your other option. Yeah, right. But but Celestials do give us a unique opportunity here, and so. I agree with you 100%, Tyler. Yeah. I'm, I, there's nothing for me to add. Use these guys. Yeah, don't focus solely on combat. Their combat abilities is great, but you're using them as sidekicks or as a big, big evil point. Exactly. So that's all for this discussion on Celestial. Make sure that you subscribe and follow and check back regularly to see what inspirations and insights we'll have for you in the future. Thank you for listening to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website, www.itsamimic.com a store with some It's a Mimic merch and a Patreon. This episode and others can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and most other podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. This has been an It's a Mimic production. Please check the show notes for this episode to see links, time codes, and credits. And don't forget to reach out and share your own inspirations. Okay, so this should come out before I get to the point in the game, but um, in my homebrew campaign, I was also running at the same time Curse of Strahd with Mieka, and the two of them were like, every time she'd come into town, they like they would jump into Barovia or she would come into the homebrew campaign. They were like teleporting back and forth and stuff. But uh, one of the times that they were doing that, they were heading up, for those listeners who are familiar with Curse of Strahd, they were heading up uh, the to uh, the top of Mount Baratok. And I had a random encounter halfway up that there was an abandoned uh, Vistani encampment there. And so as they were hunting around and stuff, I wanted to give them a kind of a moment of like, oh God, something's in the dark, um, without it actually being a, a fight. And it turned out that it was just an elephant tied to a tree that they didn't see initially in the shadows and it stepped out. 
while Dan, the Furbolg Bard, who is pretty much neutral good, uh, wanted to steal the elephant and have a pet elephant. And I'm like, how are you going to get this thing up the sheer like cliff face in front of you? It's like, we'll figure it out. It'll be fine. I can lift and drag, you know, my my twice my weight and all. And I'm like, Dan, how are you going to get this elephant? So one of our players, Charlie, that told Dan, leave the elephant in, in character, in game, leave the elephant. I will get you an elephant. And then within about eight sessions, Charlie's character, Fang, died. No, no elephant to be found. But one of the things about uh, Dan and Charlie's is they, Charlie was like his adopted brother. So they had this like familial thing where everybody in the, um, I, I promise this is going to circle back to Celestials here in a second. Everybody uh, in their family has what's called a soul light, which is a little light that follows them around and indicates how good or or how corrupted their soul is, how bright or happy they are, how sad Dan's didn't make it through a portal into this world, but Charlie's did. And Charlie is this deep, dark rogue with little soul light falling around. And it's just a little moat, just a little speck of light that you got to kind of pay attention to in order to see it. But once you see it, you're hyper aware of it. Like it's it's this floating little speck of light. And it was it would juxtapose the darkness to the rogue. Well, the rogue died. Well, we've recently discovered that the soul light is still following Dan's character around. So Charlie's soul light, which means that Charlie's soul is still bound to him somehow. Charlie's soul has unfinished business. And what he's going to do is summon a celestial elephant for Dan's character. But the only celestial elephant we have so far is a Hollyphant, which is by far the most annoying piece of shit. And this, this Hollyphant is going to pop up like a familiar that won't go away. And it's going to be, hi, Dan, how are you? And it's going to be like a cartoon, like like a children's host of of some like children's show. It's going to be oh, so, that's so beautiful and stupid. And Dan is going to love to hate it. In the yeah. last campaign, his familiar hated him. And he loved his familiar. This time, his familiar is going to love him. And he's going to hate him. him. That's yeah, awesome. <laughs> I'm really excited about this. What was that Pixar movie about feelings with the pink elephant? Inside died? Out. Yeah, that's Inside what, out, yeah. That's what I'm picturing. Yeah, I I would really <laughs> <laughs> I, I I the thing that's stopping me right now is I need to find the perfect name. It's gotta be like mm. Ollie the Holly font or something. It's not exactly yeah. that, but it's gotta be something ridiculously obnoxious. And it's always gonna be whatever the name is, plus the Holly font. And every time it enters a room, it will introduce itself. So, like, I, it's got to be this punchy, memorable name over and over. So I'm working on that. By the time this episode comes out, Dan should be thoroughly infuriated with this creature. Excellent. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to have to report back when this happens. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, you, I'm sure you guys will see it in the Patreon Discord. His I don't doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> if that doesn't get people in the Patreon, I don't know what will. Why are you still here? Leave already.